for Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview. And we are previewing a lot of different tracks, three different tracks for this week uh, with uh, Indianapolis, Lucas Oil Raceway, and Irwindale Speedway, as well as the SRL at Stockton. Uh, joining me as co-host for this evening is Sal Segallo. Welcome to the show, Sal. Oh, hi, Sharon. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to give a brief overview of uh, our schedule for tonight. First, we're going to provide uh, an update on the ARCA West race at at Irwindale. And at 8.40, our guest Jesse Love will join the conversation after getting his second ARCA West win in a row at Irwindale Speedway this past weekend. Then at 9 o'clock, we're going to review the ARCA Menard Series at Lucas Oil Raceway and the NASCAR Xfinity Series at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. For the first time, they raced on a road course at Indianapolis, and boy, did they put on a great show. Then at 9.30, uh, our guest is Scott Sanchez from the Southwest Touring Series. And, Sal, you were saying he's uh, celebrating his 100th start at Stockton this past weekend. Yeah, it was his 100th start. It's, it was huge. Um not, I'll, I'm not sure. I'll, we'll ask him. I should have gotten the staff on how many people have actually made 100 starts. I don't think there's that many. And Scott's one of the few. So you figure all the years yeah. he's gone, and I don't think, and I don't think he's missed very many races in between, if I'm not mistaken. But those are all questions that we'll ask Scott. Okay. Uh, in the last 10 minutes, then we will review the NASCAR Cup Series at Indianapolis, and 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Banner for Racing crew. And by the way, Sal, if you can stay on with us, uh, we have a seat available. I, of all day, sure, and I can't today. We were, I was gone all weekend. We were up in Stockton. Okay. And, uh, yeah, and I mean, I, I would really love to, but, I mean, I, I really need it. When we're done, I got my, I have a lot of catching up to do as far as, you know, work stuff and things like that. So, um but I'd, oh, okay. I'd up to today, but it's just a bad time, yeah. Well, we'll keep you in mind. Uh, now, just so you know, Jesse Love has had four races in the Arkham Menard Series, in Arkham Menard Series uh, racing, and in those four races, he has two wins and two runner-up finishes, Sal. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. He, he's really gone off to a really hot start this season, and um you know, uh, driving for Bill McAnally, you know what, uh, you know, I mean, what more could you expect? You know, you know, Bill always puts together, you know, a good, good solid, you know, uh, team of drivers. And, uh, uh, man, I just, I don't, it's amazing, amazing feat. It is. I did get to watch the live streaming of the race, and, boy, did they put on a good show. Uh, Trevor Huddleston uh, was the uh, biggest challenger all night long for Jesse Love. He was able to take the lead briefly, but uh, uh, Jesse was able to get it back on a restart, and, and uh, it really was an amazing race. They'll be playing that on NBC Sports Network July 11th at 11 p.m., so you'll definitely want to mark your calendars for that so that you can watch that race or set your DVR. Uh, Trevor Huddleston did finish second. Gracie Trotter, one of the rookies for Bill McAnally Racing this year, finished third. 
And in fourth place was Blaine Perkins uh, with uh, Sunrise Ford. Uh, those two put on a really good show, too. They were battling uh, for position. Devin Dotson finished fifth to round that out. And the next five drivers were Johnny Bornham in the third, Todd Souza, Dustin Ash, Wallace Allen, and in tenth place, Takuma Koga. Yeah, you know, um, actually, Dustin Ash uh, was uh, he he was the one that that, that did help Noel Gregson a lot. Dustin Ash from Las Vegas, and uh, when when Noel Gregson mm-hmm. was coming up through the through the legends and through the um, his late model program, Dustin Ash was the was the was the, the oh. car car builder, the, the yeah, the coach and everything no. behind Noel's uh, behind Noel's um, success that he's had in that. Okay. Do you want to give the uh, points how they run, Sal? Yeah. Let me um, let me get there. I was just doing something really quick here. Okay. Here we go. I'll come out. I, I can do the first five if you want. Oh no, I got them. I'm, I'm here. Okay. okay. So then, um, as as we uh. As we finish our, like Sharon mentioned, you know, our fourth race of the season, and um, uh, we got Jesse Love in first, Blake Perkins second, Gracie Trotter in third, Trevor Huddleston fourth, and Todd Souza rounds out the top five. So you're looking at actually two Bill McAnally drivers and two uh, uh, Bobby Cotty drivers Ford. in that mix. Yeah, which was yeah. Sunrise Ford, which you kind of, you kind of thought, you know, was kind of go that way. Um, uh, there's not really too many points uh, separating the top five. Is only, when you go down to Susan, it's only 33, but um, Lane and Jesse are 17, uh, 17 points apart. And then from there, then we go to Gio Selzy, who's another Bill McAnally driver. Wallace Allen, seventh, who's another Bill McAnally driver. And also, uh, he's a late model champion at Arundel. And Holly Holland in the A spot, which is another Bill McAnally driver. <laughs> and then you got Takuma Koga, who <laughs> who races for Joe Nava, who also runs um, teams at uh, late model teams at, um, at Irondale Speedway. And uh, Jesse Ouija got his start with Joe Nava and, mm-hmm. and, the, and that team. And then 10th uh, on the points list is uh, Bobby Hills Jr. So that rounds out the top 10. Okay. Uh, so this is going to be a fun one to watch because, as you mentioned, Sal, uh, a lot of this racing, even at Irwindale, was between the two teams, Bill McAnally and Sunrise Ford. Trevor, we know when we pick drivers to win on Thursday night, we pick Trevor Huddleston and Blaine Perkins because those guys have championships and uh, a ton of wins at that track. So we thought they would have the advantage and uh, Jesse Love and Gracie Trotter kind of proved us wrong. Oh yeah, they did. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, I've, you know, I've I've seen Jesse. You know, it's just come up through the uh, junior late model program and, you know, been to, you know shot a few races of his. But I I kind of expected it was going to be Blaine Perkins and Trevor that were going to be fighting for the you know more or less you know I'm not saying. McAnally drivers wouldn't have been in there, but I figured because Blaine Perkins and um, Trevor Huddleston are more the they're more the veterans along with Todd Sousa in the series 
but you know, you figure, you know, with this with the Sunrise Four team with Derek Thorne just picking up um, Bob's last championship and um, Ryan Parkins finishing second behind him, you kind of thought that Blaney Trevor would have been, you know, one and two. But um, Mac and all these drivers have proved them wrong, and uh, like I said, Jesse Love, you know, picked up the win in uh, at Utah last week and then picked up the win at Irondale, so to you know, put them on top of the board. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jesse is here now, so I'm going to bring him into the queue. Uh, Jesse, congratulations again are in order for you. Four races, you've got two runner-ups and two wins in the last two weeks. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that, Jesse. No, it really doesn't. It's been super cool, and obviously the consistency has been there and just goes to show how great of a team I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sal and I were just talking with the, with it being Irwindale Speedway. Uh, we thought the Sunrise Four cars, uh, Sunrise Ford cars, would have the advantage having won so many races there. Uh, how how did you uh, how did you put together your plan uh, to race against those guys? Yeah, it's a really good question. Quite honestly, uh, it was one of those things where I was not sure. I kind of knew that I was going to be fast, and I wasn't too focused on what they have done in the past because uh, I had a lot of faith in my team and a lot of faith in my car that we would, uh, no matter who, was, who we were up against, just go out there and do our job as best we can, and the rest would take care of itself. That's kind of what happened. We just kind of went in the weekend, you know, had a good time during the whole weekend, um, obviously, you know, we were serious. We, we had our game face on for the whole weekend, but overall, just a really fun, you know, kind of relaxed weekend. Um, and it, we we ran really well. We unloaded out of the box really fast, and it translated throughout the whole throughout the whole week. Well, it certainly did. You took the uh, pole award, and the only real challenger you had all night was Trevor Huddleston with Sunrise Ford. And he did capture the lead for a short period of time, uh, but uh, you kind of got it back on the restart. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, the challenge that you had from Trevor. Yeah, that was a really interesting restart. You know, I wasn't sure if he kind of, you know, jumped a little bit or um, or what kind of happened. You know, from my feed, it kind of felt like it a little bit, like he jumped it, but um, he was able to – I kind of – I didn't get my tires quite clean enough and I spun the tires just a little bit, and he was able to get a nose on me, and then we entered the corner, and he drove it in there really hard. He kind of stood up the racetrack and, you know, kind of made a line, and, and I had to get out of the gas a tiny bit, but he made it stick, and, you know, he definitely uh, drove it hard and, and made it happen, and he was able to get the lead there, and uh, I went back for the lead in three and four, um, and then he, he started crossing me under, and then we went into turn three, or turn one on the next lap, and, uh, and I was starting to set him up, and then the 16 car went around, which was kind of a blessing in disguise, but um, it just kind of made our job, uh, you know, not easier, but it made it for a more exciting race, if anything. So uh, that was super cool, and the last restart was definitely something that was a lot of fun. Absolutely. You were able to uh, uh, take the lead on that last restart, and, and that's what uh, propelled you to the win in the end. But uh, I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun to watch. I did catch it on uh, on the live streaming on the NBC Gold, and uh, I would really encourage everybody uh, to watch it for sure because uh, you were just 
so good in that race, and I know the announcers said all good things about what you were doing as well. So uh, with us now is Sal Segala, our co-host, so I know he has questions for you as well, Jesse. Hey, Jesse, first of all, congratulations on on the back-to-back wins, you know, from last week in Utah and to come out, you know, to Urndale, you know, which is a little bit closer to home for you, you know, and uh, pick up the win at a you know, the track that it seems like all the drivers, whether they're East Coast or West Coast, they all want to race there at least once, you know, before they, um, before they quit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, you know, really cool racetrack. And, and that's definitely one of the races that's on everybody's mind going in, into the year, just because of the unique driving style you have to have to run there and the great racing it, it puts on. I think that Irwindale puts on, you know, some of the best, if not the best, you know, pavement racing in California, which is super fun, super awesome racing, or a really wide racetrack, and, and it's run really well. You know, and um, going, you know, going back to the last, you know, few restarts with you and Trevor, you know, it, it seemed like the, it seemed like the high line, you know, was the, you know, was the line you wanted, you know, to fire off at, but uh, it seemed like Trevor, the one time, you know, from the bottom, you know, he was able, you know, to get around to, you know, and of course, you know, another yellow came out, you know, and then, you know, you guys kind of played, you know, kind of went back and forth for a while. Um, just how unique is this track compared to the other um, ovals that you drive? Well, I mean, it's really unique, mainly because of the, obviously, the, the banking that you have there. Um, it's super flat. I think it's six degrees in the bottom. Um, it's, it's actually flat on the apron, but six degrees in the bottom, nine degrees in the middle, and then 12 degrees up top, and and it's a and it's a pretty you know steady 12 degrees that has a lot of drip. That's where a lot of rubber's been laid down throughout the whole throughout all the years that's been there. And um, kind of one of those deals where you just gotta you know ride the rim the whole way around and figure out because it, it's a really weird racetrack because the 12 degrees, especially especially in one and two, um, yeah especially in one and two is very narrow, right? So you have to like hit it perfect and you can't miss it. You see that's just about you know car length and a quarter wide is the entirety of, of the 12 degree banking in turn one and two. So you have to make sure you can enter in hard enough and, and not use enough wheel to make sure you don't go too low and get um, into that nine degrees and de-wedge the car, um, which will either get you loose or push you up the racetrack. But also the there's a lot of, you know, dirty stuff, like a lot of dirty racetrack up uh, on the higher side of than other 12 degrees of banking with all the rubber that get, that gets thrown up there and all the dirt and all the bolts and stuff like that that falls off the race cars and all that stuff. So, uh, But mainly just the rubber that, you know, flies off the tires every lap uh, just builds up there and it gets really dirty up there. So um, just a really, you know, rim-riding racetrack. But over the last few weeks, we've been able to make the bottom work. Or they've put the PJ1 down to make the bottom work, which has been super cool. So with the... Um you know, with, with, you know, with your thing, you know, we talk about the track, you know, um, you know, the, you know, you guys practice during the day, you know, and, and actually this was a weekend that it was one of our hotter weekends, you know, in Seattle or Southern California. So of course, you know, when race time comes around, you know, usually, you know, we run at night, you know, the, the start time would be like seven, eight o'clock somewhere around there, you know, cause they'll usually run a few races before, but because we had run the week before, this was the only race that was run. So you guys had a lot of, um, a lot of downtime between practice, qualifying, and then the actual race. So what kind of adjustments did you have to make, you know, going into, like, a 6 o'clock start as compared, you know, until waiting until it got darker, you know, got a little bit more cooler? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to look at it right. Like, what would you do on a on a race weekend where you would be starting in the in the under the lights, right? Where it's real dark out and obviously it gets really nice and cool out in the LA area at night. So, uh, I mean, it was about 90 degrees that day, and it was in the heat. The track temperature was super hot, um, and with the general tires, they heat up the racetrack a ton because uh, they got so much. They have so much grip. So it's just one of those deals where you have to play by ear, and, and then you might make a change right before you roll out. Because um, I don't think it was an impound race, so uh, obviously the cars would come back, and uh, you could you could tweak on it a little bit, I think. I'm not, I don't really remember 100%, but you have to set yourself up for the race uh, more so than qualifying, just because, uh, you know, you can have a, a good fast lap for one, of the, for one lap, but you have to make sure that throughout the whole race, your car is going to be there. And with those with the 125-lap races, right, they're not like the Hoosiers um, with the sidewalls. With the uh, radial tires that are the general tires, uh, they kind of, they'll over the, you know, over the time period, the tire fall-off is a lot different than the Hoosier tires. So you have to be able to manage that and figure out, okay, how am I going to be able to make sure that I'm going to have enough grip in the beginning to where I don't, you know, have to go over that grip level to be fast and then kill my tires by lap eight. You have to be, you know, your tires can only be killed by laps, you know, 110. So you have a long time to, to keep cool because at the end of the day, everybody is going to be pretty much, um, all, everybody's tires are going to be pretty much dead by the end of the race. There's not a lot to do about it. You just got to manage that, and part of that's setup, and part of that's just what you got to do in the cockpit too. You know, and actually, you, you just answered my other question. I was going to ask you about the difference, you know, be dealing with the tire fall-off from the general tire, you know, to the Hoosier that you're normally, you know, you, know, you guys are normally racing, you know, when you race your late model program, you race your junior late model program. Um, but with that, gosh, I, I had something else I was going to ask you about that too, and it, it, it pertains to the tires. You know what? I'm going to turn it over to Sharon, and then I'll get back to my question, um, you know, and then I'll I'll figure out exactly how, how I want to word it. So with that, I'll give turn it back over to Sharon. Oh, okay, Jesse. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about the other series in the Arkham Menard series. You, I know you've raced, uh, you've raced in the East, right? Yeah, one race. One race. Uh, do you have any plans to race with the Arkham Menard series this year? They're going to be in Kentucky uh, this weekend, and you guys are off. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So basically. Um, I have plans to run with the Arkham and Series Showdown, the Sioux Chief Showdown, um, but I don't have any plans to run with the East anymore this year, I don't think. Um, I can't run the Arkham and Series right now because I'm not old enough, uh, because a place mm. like Kentucky is really big, and you have to be, I think, 18, and I'm only, you know, 15, so I got a You're little bit 15. to be able to run those, yeah, those mile-and-a-half racetracks, got to be 18, so, um, but I'll be obviously going into the uh, rest of the races that are in the Sioux Chief Showdown that I can run. I believe that we're going to run as many of, of those as I can. Okay, I think uh, I think fans will really enjoy that opportunity to get to see you run. Um, and uh, talk a little bit more about your team as well. I know we did talk about them a little bit last week, but for any new listeners, you must have a really fantastic team there at Bill McAnally Racing with the guys that are working on the car to the guys that are spotting or, or crew chiefing. 
Talk about those guys. Yeah, I got a really amazing, great team over at BMR, my Napa Toyota Power Premium Plus team. And, and you know, everybody in the whole Napa uh, BMR stable just really, you know, they do their job so amazingly. Every weekend they and every week, too, because, you know, they work in the shop every week and getting our cars ready for Iowa and stuff like that. They do a phenomenal job, and it shows off when we get to the racetrack. We always unload fast. We're always just fast from the get-go. Um so it's really good and always a good feeling to know that you have such a great team behind you. Obviously, I have a phenomenal crew chief and Kyle Wolesic behind me. Um, you know, you, we kind of we're always on the same page, which is really important um, for a driver crew chief combo to be on the same page all the time. And uh, we kind of know what changes we like in the race car and what the, what the race car likes at certain racetracks. And, uh, I'm able to just you know give him my feedback, and he knows what to do right away which is always really important. It's really a big confidence booster uh, for myself. And uh, obviously I got a great spotter too, Eric Holmes. He, he, he wasn't able to make it to Irwindale, but uh, Travis Sharp, who was spotting for me, he'll be spotting for me at Iowa and other tracks like that. Um, you know, he did a great job this weekend. We bonded really well uh, when I went and ran uh, late mall for Nate a few weeks ago. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of trust in him throughout the whole weekend, especially for those tough moves when you're sliding up to the wall um, in, front of somebody, in front of somebody like that restart. So overall, i got a really great team behind me, and I can't thank Twitter Racing Development enough for, for giving me the opportunity to run with such a great team. Absolutely, absolutely. And Toyota Racing Development is, is certainly a, a good group uh, to start your career with. Um, and, and uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the crew chief and, and everybody that uh, is – that you have a lot of confidence in, but Jesse, you did such a great job out there on the racetrack as well. Uh, what do you credit your early success in the ARCA series, uh, in the ARCA West? What do you credit your success to? Uh, is there a mentor that you've had that's kind of helped you along the way, a driver that you look up to? Yeah, I mean, it's just overall all the people around me. Um, obviously, my dad's put me in a really great situation. Um, he's a really smart guy, and he, and he does um, a lot to help me out, and, and he's always working late um, and always, you know, working hard the whole time to make sure that I'm always in the best, you know, situation that I can be. And there's just, you know, a ton of people that have worked so hard to put me in the best situation that I can be in, um, whether it be everybody from the dirt scene to the road racing scene to uh, obviously the the oval scene, to my friends and family, just everybody. It's a whole team effort, right? And it's not just one particular person. It's a whole group of people that everybody um, who is involved in, in you know the Love or Sports Festival Racing deal uh, just helps me out so much. And and you know that's why we, we have so much success is just we work harder than everybody else. I feel like, um, or I know, and and that's you know I feel like the biggest part to success is just working harder than the next guy and, and, and knowing that that's going to pay off. Who's the driver that you feel that you're, you most uh, uh, kind of get your driving style from and, and find yourself to be similar to? Kind of somebody that you look up to in racing. Uh, I mean, driving style, probably Jesse Love. <laughs> I feel like I kind of made my own <laughs> deal and um, I don't really think that I, you know, model one particular driver. Um, I feel like I drive really hard, but I drive real smart. Um, I kind of just 
do my own thing. I, I go about things a little bit differently than everybody else um, that I feel works really well. But I got, but basically my heroes in racing um, are Jeff Gordon, guys, guys like Jeff Gordon, A.J. Foy, Tony Stewart, um, Parnelli Jones, guys like that, uh, but especially guys like um, A.J. Foy and uh, Tony Stewart and Jeff Gordon who were able to get in any car, anytime, anywhere, and be able to win. Um, races and, and do really well no matter what they were in. Uh, I feel like that's really important to be like in a race car driver. And then obviously for stock car racing, everybody's hero is Dale Earnhardt. Um, you know, it's like he just he wanted it more than everybody else, and he worked really hard, and it showed off. And it showed on the racetrack. And um, same thing with Chris Rebell. He, you know, he's one of those guys that's really aggressive, but he's really smart at the same time. And he's not, you know, one of those people that are really overly aggressive. He's just a, you know mediocrely aggressive driver, but he's so smart that he's able to get in victory lane all the time. Okay. Those are great role models uh, and great people, you know, that you find to be heroes. Uh, I'm going to go back to Sal. I know he has that tire question that he wanted to ask you. So, Sal? Um, actually, what I um, my question was was going to be, um, okay, Jesse, being 15 years old, and making the transition from a road course, you know, to the oval, you know, within a week, how tough was it and how much preparation went to getting ready for, you know, for your Irondale race? Yeah, with the road race, it was one of those deals where I worked, you know, so hard and, and for so long, like months and weeks and months in advance to make sure that I'm prepared because it's one of those racetracks that, uh, I've never been to, and that it's one of those races where I, if I if I don't put the work in, I'm not going to be the most prepared guy at the racetrack. You know, I'm not going to be the favorite, right? Uh, obviously, Blaine Perkins grew up in go-karting, uh, so I've heard uh, guys like Trevor Huddleston and Blaine Perkins, like they've ran on road courses before. Uh, obviously, Will Rogers has, you know, won at Sonoma. He's won everywhere in road racing, but I mean, he won at Sonoma for crying out loud, so that was obviously one of those guys that you have to make sure you outwork. And there's just a lot of guys there that were, you know, obviously in the, the kid in the seven car, um, he, you know, road racing guy. So you have to figure out like all these road racers, you know, how am I going to be able to outwork them? Because I'm not going to be able to just out experience them on this road race. I'm going to have to like literally outwork them so that even though, you know, Ivan ran as much road, road courses as this guy has, I'm going to come to the racetrack as a favorite. Uh, it's a big mindset thing, and, and you need to come to the racetrack as the favorite to win, or else you might as well just go home. So, um, and so I put a lot of a lot of time, like a ton and a lot of effort, um, you know, months and weeks in advance to go into the Utah race, and then I had to turn around right away, shift gears, and you know I didn't have a single day off uh, the whole week getting ready for Irwindale. Um, you know, worked every day of the week to make sure that I was prepared going into Irwindale. And uh, it was just kind of one of those things where time flies and you're having fun. So time flew real fast, and I was in Irwindale. You know what? And, and actually, it's—I'll it's, tell you—it's it's amazing to watch your, um, you know, to watch your progression. You know, from, you know, like we were talking about, um, you know, from the junior late model program, you know, to you know, you know, it, you know, actually where you're at now with the kid and you know being so young, because come the end of the season. I'm curious if NASCAR is going to give you a, uh, you know, if you're up there leading the points, if they're going to give you a waiver to race Phoenix. That's if, if they even make Phoenix or not, with the COVID, 
it doesn't seem like, you know, I know they're going, you know, week to week, you know, month to month, you know, as far as the schedule is going. But um, you still have a lot of racing in between, uh, in between that with the can and also with your, um, with your super late model program, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Jesse, we're real happy uh, that you were able to be on the show again with us tonight. Uh, we've had a lot of fun just getting to know you and and uh, know more about you and hopefully help others get to know more about you. Uh, and we wish you a lot of success. When's your next race, Jesse? Uh, my next race is on Thursday or Friday, I think, with uh, Keith Cunha's Motorsports out in Kansas uh, for the power races at Humboldt and then uh, Green Valley. Oh, okay, fantastic. So uh, fans out in those areas, uh, you really need to get out there to the racetrack if, they've, if they're making that available because uh, Jesse Love is uh, definitely a driver you want to see out there. So, Jesse, uh, again, congratulations on your victories, and uh, we hope there will be another opportunity somewhere down the road here. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, guys, and Nick Sell. All right. Thanks, oh, okay. Jesse. Again, congratulations. Yep. Thanks, guys. See ya. Good night. Okay, Sal. That uh, is Jesse Love with Bill McAnally Racing, the winner of the last two ARCA West events. And uh, as you mentioned, two different kinds of courses, from a road course to the short track, and uh, it didn't phase him at all at just 15 years of age. Yeah, it's amazing how these kids are, are how they're growing up, you know, in the sport and how they're advancing. You know, they're, they just have so many tools nowadays, you know, it's available to them, you know, you know, as far as their advancement, you know, plus, you know, older drivers, you know, that are taking the time out, you know, to teach them, you know, the right way. You know, there's always, like you say, there's always a right way to race and there's a wrong way to race. You know, if you get the good coaching, you know, you're going to be one of the ones that are going to be go out there and be, you know, and be liked, of course, you know, then there's, you know, the other way. But, um, you know, he's got good coaches, he's got good people behind him. Uh, you know, uh, like you said, you know, his dad is really, um, his parents are really, um, you know, supportive of him, you know, and, uh, you know, then being with the Bill McAnally uh, racing uh, program, you know, Bill is you know, nothing but the best, you know, when you, when you, when you go to Bill's shop and, you know, when he, mm-hmm. when it comes to Bill, you know, developing these drivers, you know, Bill doesn't, he spares no expense, you know, and he, um, he wants them all, he wants, he wants them all to succeed. You know, he wants, even, even drivers that aren't in his program that are young, he wants to see everybody succeed, you know, and, you know, and that's why, you know, Bill put so much, you know, not only in his team, but he put so much, you know, into the, into the Arkham and Arts series. Well, you know, the West series, you know, with the sponsorship of Napa and all that. So um, amazing, pretty amazing, Sharon, I'm telling you. It is. It certainly is. Uh, we had another winner in the Arkham and Art Series this weekend with Chandler Smith. Uh, he's another up-and-coming uh, superstar in the sport. Uh, the last, this was part of the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, this weekend at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway. I love that racetrack. Uh, and Chandler Smith really put on a clinic uh, at, at, uh, in that race. He finished first. Uh, Second-place driver was Sam Mayer with uh, GMS Racing. Haley Deegan with David Gilliland Racing came in third. 
And then Taylor Gray, he had a really good run uh, for DGR Crossley, finishing fourth. Thad Moffitt, uh, as part of that uh, uh, Bo Lamastis uh, and David Gilliland group, uh, came in in fifth place to round out the top five. Now, the next five drivers were Max McLaughlin, Brett Holmes, Michael Self, Howie DiSavino III, and Kyle Sieg, the brother of Brian Sieg. So it was a good race. Is that younger or older? Younger. Is he younger or older? Younger brother? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, did you get a chance to watch this race, Joe? Because it was a good one. You know what? We didn't we didn't get it over here on the West Coast for whatever reason. Oh, it was on I don't know. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and um, and where was? Oh, this was they ran this on Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Friday night. Friday night. Saturday I or Friday? Friday night. Yeah. See, Friday night I was at the track with uh with the SRL series, so there was no way uh. I was gonna. And my um, okay. I have the I have the Directv app on my phone, but it only gets select channels. It doesn't get every single channel, so NavTV isn't one, uh, of, it's one of the premium ones that I get, so I would have had to basically open my laptop, record it, and then come home and see it, and I didn't get a chance to because we were busy with the, with the um, SRL series. Okay, well, he pretty much uh, dominated that race, and he's just so incredible on these short tracks. He is definitely going after that Sioux Chief Showdown uh, championship for Venturini Motorsports. Uh, again, a very dominating performance. Uh, he led seven laps when the rain arrived on, or the, actually, um, that was last fall uh, when uh, Chandler Smith won at LOR last fall. Uh, and in that race, he only led seven laps, and then rain came uh, after. Uh, 167 of 200 laps, they had to call the race, but Chandler Smith was out front and and, uh, took that victory. Uh, He also took the General Tire Pole Award earlier in the day, and uh, then he took the lead away from Ty Gibbs on lap 39 and led all the remaining laps of that event. So uh, Smith, last week uh, it was in reverse. Smith finished uh, second to uh, uh, Gibbs, and this weekend it was the other way around with uh, uh, Gibbs behind uh, Chandler Smith. Yeah, you know, it sounded like it was a really good race. I, you know, like I said, I, I didn't get a chance to see the, the race itself, but I, you know, I caught some of the highlights, you know, from the from some of the press releases. And um, I'll tell you, they're really making a, another uh, another really exciting uh series out of it you know it's you know it looks it looks like it's going to go down you know the, to the very last you know few races of the season you know see who, who comes out um, who comes out on top you want to do the points Sal? yeah right now um michael self is still leading the points um sitting second is Haley deegan third is drew dollar fourth is brett holmes and fifth is dad Moffat. and Haley's only believe it or not only 12 points Behind Michael Self in the in the standings right now, with um, two dollar nineteen points behind him. From there, then they, they really start to gap themselves. Um, six in the points is Chandler Smith with two wins. Uh, Brian Huff seventh. Tanner Gray is eighth. 
Ty Gibbs is ninth, and tenth is Sam Meyer. Sam Mayer. So it's oh, um, okay. It's it's, it's looking like it's going to be. Uh, I mean, in, with this series, we already know from years past anything can happen from week to week. You know, it's just a matter of you know somebody picking up a win, somebody having a bad race. You know that the you know the points are going to you know of course are going to flip flop, but. But right now, it's uh, looks like a four-man battle between Brett Holmes, Drew Dollar, Haney Deegan, and Michael Seth. Yes, indeed. Now, I should kind of make a correction to something that I said. Uh, I, I was saying that Ty Gibbs uh, finished behind Chandler Smith. He actually ran into some trouble uh, and finished in 15th place. He had a problem. His engine blew. So that took him out of the race and, and led to his 15th place finish. And then uh, you've got uh, Ryan Huff, who had a drive shaft problem. Brad Smith, his brakes went out, as did Dick Doheny. Mike Basham had some overheating. And Tim Richmond had an electrical issue. Uh, but uh, 14 cars were still running at the end of that race, and it was a uh, fun race to watch. Let's go ahead and get into the Xfinity Series, Sal. Oh, boy, what a race that was. That, yes, was, that was indeed. one for the ages. If you didn't like I mean, that it, race, it, you don't like racing because that was yeah. a race for the ages. I mean, okay, it, it was the exciting. Race. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a very exciting race. I mean, it could have probably been a little bit more exciting, but it was, you know, for for them being the first time on the road course, you know, at, uh, mm-hmm. at, at uh, Indianapolis, it was, um, there was a lot of twists and turns, I'll tell you that. I mean, Gosh. It just was. Just when you thought Chase was out of it, he came back and and uh, took the. How did he come from? Was, you know, sure, and I had to rewind amazing. it like five, six different times because he, he was, was out. Amazing. He was he was done. I know. Well, you know how we feel about Chase Briscoe. He's one of our favorites yeah. here at for Racing. We followed him since his Yes. I thought <laughs> I thought Cedric was out of it too. I know. It's just amazing. At age 25, Chase Briscoe in the number 98 for highpoint.com Ford. Uh, owner Stuart Haas Racing and crew chief Greg Zipidelli. This, by the way, was the last race with Greg Zipidelli. His regular crew chief will be back on top of the pit box after serving a four-race four penalty. Uh, Chase Briscoe won the ninth annual Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard, his seventh victory in 64 NASCAR Xfinity Series races. This is his fifth victory and tenth top ten finish in 2020. He becomes just the second driver in the series history to win five or more races in the first 13 starts of a NASCAR Xfinity Series season. He joins Sam Ard, who had six wins, in 1984. That's how long that record has been held. Uh, Jay Holy cow. So, yeah, that's amazing. This is the first victory and first top ten finish at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Uh, as you mentioned, we've never raced there before, so uh, it was pretty exciting. Uh, I think we'll probably see Cup there next year. Justin Haley, who what? finished second. I'm sorry? Well, you know, it's funny because Chase Briscoe had said at the beginning of the season, if he, if he wants to advance to cup level, he has to win eight races this season or, or, he, or he feels he won't be good enough to make it a cup. 
Wow, I think he's good enough to make it in cup sale. <laughs> uh, Justin <laughs> Haley finished second. He posted his first top ten finish in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, road course. It was his eighth top ten finish in 2020. Noah Gregson finished third, posting his first top ten finish at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. Myas Snyder, who finished 16th, was the highest finishing rookie. Any comments there about those uh, drivers, Sal? You know, Justin Haley, he's a he's a really good driver. I mean, I, I know a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. they, they kind of watch him, and, you know, and it's kind of like he comes and he goes. But, man, if if he ever gets really super consistent, you better watch out because this kid is going to – he's going to turn a lot of heads. He's been around, you know, for a yeah. while now, and he's, you know, he's really making his name. But, like I said, he mm-hmm. just really needs to um, – you know, he just needs a little bit more – I don't know if you want to say luck or what it is, but Chase Briscoe is really making a, he's really making a statement this year. And, and, and after, and it's funny because at the end of last season, he didn't have a ride. Stuart Haas was going to bring him back. And then also, I think it was after Phoenix, not Phoenix, but after Homestead. And then they announced, we're going to go ahead and bring Chase Briscoe back. But going into like the last two races of the season, he was, he didn't have a ride. Wow. That's amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, he certainly proved that he deserved that opportunity. Uh, and Justin Haley, he's a little guy, and I get a kick out of him. When he won a recent race, he decided to get out on the passenger side. I, there's not really a passenger side in those cars, but on the opposite side of the driver's side, he got out that window as part of his victory celebration. He said he's one of the smallest guys uh, and probably one of the only guys that could be able to do that. And even he struggled at it, but uh, I, I thought that was kind of cute the way he handled that. Um, but going down the list here, uh, we mentioned Noah Gregson in third. In fourth place was Justin Haley's teammate, A.J. Allmendinger. And in fifth place, Austin Sindrick. He was one of the guys that a lot of people picked to win because Austin Sindrick is really, really good on these road courses. The next five are Ross Chastain, Justin Algauer, Alex LeBay, Michael Lynette, and Preston Pardis rounds out the top ten. I love this no practicing because you get to see some of these drivers we don't normally see up in the top ten. I think it's great. It is great. You know what? And and going back to A.J. Allmendinger, this Technically, with, with the road course experience he has, you know, this, yes. this should have been a race. He should have won. And, and he was up there fighting with him with uh, – he was up there fighting with Briscoe and, uh, and, and, and Cedric and how he got pushed back into fourth. And Haney got it. It's amazing. It was a, I'll tell you, it was, it was, a, it was a mess. <laughs> I mean, it was it a was, finish was, for the ages. It was crazy. It was crazy. I, I just, I, and even, and even Alex LeBay, he led early. He led early on in the race too. You know, mm-hmm. he was up to leading laps, and then, you know, but I mean, those, those like the last what, fifteen, twenty laps. Oh my gosh, there was just. It you know, was exciting. It was, it, was, it was exciting. Okay, now uh, the twenty-two Austin Cindric won that first uh, stage. The number ninety. Six, who belongs to, is that 96 or 8? Oh, it is the 98. The number 98 of Chase Briscoe won the second stage, and of course Chase Briscoe also won the race. There were 12 
uh, lead changes among just eight drivers. And uh, as far as uh, caution flags, there were five caution flags for 15 laps. That's amazing on a track that they have never raced at before, Sal. They only have five exactly. cautions for 15 laps. Uh, it it, yeah, it was a an incredible race. Yeah, I mean, you usually don't get that, especially on, a, like you said, a, a track that you've never run on before, no practice, no uh, no qualifying, you know what, and, um, you know, to go out there, you know, and ran the way they did and the way they are bumping and hitting and grinding each other. But, you know, on NASCAR, they, they allowed a lot of cars, you know, went off track. You know, they didn't, mm-hmm. didn't throw the yellow, which is good, because, you know, they no. gave the, you know, the drivers a chance to get started, you know, without having to, you know, without having to, you know, stop the race, but... um Mm-hmm. You know, it was a you know the IndyCar the IndyCar raced that race earlier in the day, uh, or that track, the road course. And I'll tell you what, Scott Dixon won that by a huge margin. It was not nearly as exciting as what that Xfinity Series race was. It wasn't, you know. And actually, I thought with all the push to pass seconds that Graham Rahal had, he had like a hundred. 40 something seconds and uh, Scott Dixon only had like 15. I thought, I thought that Graham Rahal was really going to make a race, a run at it. You know what? And, 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 uh, you know, and, and, you know, make a run at the, at the front. But like you said, he ran away. Scott Dixon ran away with it. And nobody ran away with this win on when it came to the, uh, (laughs) when it came to the Xfinity cars. No, it was a fun race to watch. I I hope they have more uh, racing on the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, let's go ahead and do the points report, Sal. Okay, for the points we got. Um, here we are with the points. It's got a roll to it. Chase Briscoe is leading the points. Noah Gregson in second. Ross Chastain third. Austin Cedric fourth. Justin Haley rounds out the top five. Um, I guess there's really nothing, you know, we haven't seen with the exception of didn't hear nothing from Ross Chastain this past weekend. You know, he was kind of silent, but um, I'll tell you, Chase Briscoe and uh, Austin Sidrick, Justin Haley sure made enough noise for the, for the, uh, for Ross Chastain, you know, who was, I don't even know where he finished that. And then, um, then we go down to six is Justin Allgaier. Seventh is Harrison Burton. Eighth is Brandon Jones. Ninth is Michael Ned, and Ryan Sieg is still hanging in on that ten spot. Uh, yeah. And then from there, then we go. Yeah. Then we go down eleventh. Riley Herbst and twelfth is Brandon Brown. So uh, Brandon so, Brown's on the bubble, six points ahead of Matt Snyder. That's just amazing. This is going to be fun to watch as it goes down to the wire here. Uh, with these guys that are on the bubble because I know a lot of these guys are really doing everything they possibly can to be on the right side of the bubble, and uh, it's going to be close all the way down to the wire. Now, I do have some post-race audio here, Sal, from um, uh, Chase Briscoe, and uh, we'll listen to just a couple minutes of his post-race comments after winning at uh, the Indianapolis Road Course for the very first time that the series has raced there. Hello, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. 
have you. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thanks for joining us here quickly after practice. Um, and welcome home to Indiana. I know this area is super special to you, and just talk a little bit about, um, you know, having the opportunity to race here at Indy, but having the, you know, the chance to take the first lap on the road course this afternoon. Yeah, super excited to be back in Indiana. Uh, it's always special anytime you come back here. Wish we had fans here, obviously, because I, I don't get to see. I get to see here typically lots of fans. I don't get to see anywhere else, but. Super excited to be on the road course. I think it's going to be a, a great race tomorrow. The track is uh, really fun. It's a lot wider than I anticipated, more of a traditional road course where uh, the roval is more street course type. So I think we're going to have plenty of opportunities to pass tomorrow. I, I know that there's a lot of tire lockup issues, and it looks pretty cool on TV how we're you know, up on three wheels quite a bit. So looking forward to tomorrow. I think you know it's going to be an awesome race. and. Uh, obviously, like I said, wish fans were here, but I'm sure next year that, that they're packed this place because it's going to be an awesome weekend with the Indy cars and us. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop it there because this is obviously obviously after practice and before the race, Sal. So I do have the post race audio. So let's go ahead and get that up here. That's what I meant to play, and I picked up the wrong one. Okay, here's the post race audio after he won, and, and it's a good point that was brought up here. This is Chase Briscoe's home track, so it really meant a big deal to him to be able to win on the road course for the first inaugural race. Thank you. We are with our winner, Chase Briscoe, big hometown victory uh, for Chase. Congratulations on a big win. Several questions already lined up, and we'll go straight to them. Uh, we'll start off with uh, Dustin Long. Yeah, Chase, uh, a couple things. Uh, you, you talked about how much time you spent in the simulator and how much focus on this race. I, I'm curious how that experience helped in the, in the last few laps uh, with some of the things that you had to do, and was that anything you pulled out of the simulator or was that stuff that you pulled out of practice yesterday? Um, a little bit of both. You know, I think... For one, on the simulator, we were trying to focus on running, you know, like 93-second lap times. And yesterday, in practice, we were, you know, in the 90-second lap times. So I had a lot less grip in the simulator. And I don't know what lap times we were turning today. But, you know, I felt like I was just – honestly, I, I try to run this all these road courses a lot like dirt. You know, I just try to keep the thing hooked up at all times on exit. Um, and, you know, I felt like at the Roval, that's kind of what won me the race the first time. And then now – uh, to do that here again, you know, I, I just feel like that's kind of my dirt background just helps me so much on these places, uh, especially when it's hot and slick like it was today. You know, everybody's spinning the tires and everything else, and it's all about being patient back to the gas and trying to keep the rear tires and stuff. And that's what I try to do all day and, you know, just run my pace. And I didn't do a very good job of that at the end of the race when Almendinger was behind me. Um, you know, when I was out front, I just kept backing the corners up so much um, and just saving my stuff. And I was you know, faster that way. But when Almendinger was behind me, I had to run so hard into the corner because he would have passed me if I didn't. That it kind of got me out of rhythm um, and about, you know, gave the race away getting into the, the last corner back there. So um, I can't believe I wanted Indianapolis. You know, I'm glad I put as much work into it as I did. Um, you know, I felt like I wasn't as as much of a disadvantage as the other guys coming in here that didn't, you know, turn laps. And, you know, it was definitely, I, I think, pretty similar to the, the – pretty similar to the simulator, um, but, you know, there's still nothing like real life. Also, um, okay. Uh, really good comments there from uh, 
Chase Briscoe and how much time he spent really preparing for this race. Uh, and I know it was really important to him to uh, win at his hometown track. Yeah, it was. You know what? It's funny because we talked to some drivers, you know, and they really don't, you know, they're not into sim racing, you know, the I racing, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, you know, to, to try and practice to get the other ones that, you know, that they, you know, it's like, it's like when you go to church, you don't go to church without a Bible. Well, you don't hit the track unless you've been on the simulator, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, I guess I've never driven, I've, I've played around the simulator, one of those good ones before the event I went to, but, you know, I, I guess if, it, you know, whatever works, you know, and if he felt, you know, it helped him, you know, even more power to him, you know, because he really, he really put on a clinic, I'll tell you, those last few laps to get the, the lead back after it looked like he was completely out of, you know, it, was, it looked like the race was lost. But, you know, he kept digging and digging and digging, never gave up, and, man, before you know it, there he is, and, you know, victory lane, and, uh, and you know, it was crazy. It was crazy. I thought he was going to lose it there for a few minutes when uh, uh, somebody came around the bottom and, and really took over the lead, uh, but uh, he was not out. I thought it was interesting, too, Sal, that uh, he was talking about how much his dirt experience helps him on the road courses. That's something you don't hear all the time. Yeah, you know what? And actually, there's a there's a few drivers that'll talk about it, you know, because you know when they get you know when they get in the corners, you know, they slide and you know and you know especially like when they get up on the bump, you know, you know, we've seen you know going through. Uh, gosh, I forget what turns it was. You know, they get up on that bump, and when you're racing dirt, you know, they they have what they call the cushion that's up in the turns, and a lot of drivers will use that cushion you know, to kind of ricochet off, you know, and get a good run, you know, down the down the front and back stretch. So, um, you know, then just handling a loose a loose race car, you know, because, you know, that that's how they do it on dirt. But um, it, it's just amazing that uh, these cars are so dang heavy. You know, I mean, they, they, they even did the – they they did the weight comparison between an Indy car and a Cup car, which the Cup car is – you know, a few hundred more pounds, a couple more hundred more pounds than an Xfinity car. But, I mean, you're talking about a, uh, you know, a, almost a 2,000-pound weight difference, you know, in the two cars. I know. You know, and, and, you know, and, and, you know and, and the car control, if they had, you know, this was only being the Xfinity series. You know, these are the, you know, their next step is to be a cup driver, you know, and to see how well they handled the race, how well they, you know, they raced it, you know, without, you know, like what happened at the Volvo, you know, when everything got torn up except for the pace car. You mm-hmm. know, the the city drivers, you know, put on a clinic, you know, really show the cup drivers, hey, you know what, this is how you race a brand new track. You know, you try to bring your car home in one piece, you know, but at least finish the race. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, they they really did put on a great, great race. Uh, and uh, I think we've got a lot to look forward to with a, a lot of those drivers when it comes to uh, upcoming seasons. Um, so, Sal, I know we've got a guest coming on here in a couple minutes. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a flavor for for who we're going to be talking to and uh, his milestone at uh, Stockdale this weekend? Yeah, so Scott Sanchez, we had, we had him on before, sure. I think we had him on a, a year ago or a couple of years ago we had him on. And... Um, I can't remember why we even had him on. I think, uh, shoot, I'll ask 
we'll ask Scott anyways, but I remember we had him on the show before. And, uh, yeah, it's, to, to make 100 starts in the series, in any series, you know what, especially, you know, a, uh, a local series like this, you know, it's it's um, it's huge. You know, it's, it's just something, you know, that you don't hear about every day, you know, especially at the SRL, you know. And, uh, man, he's seen a – you figure 100 starts, he's seen a lot of tracks, he's seen a lot of racing, he's uh, – seen a lot of laps and and i bet you he's when you ask him how much money he spent he spent a lot of money too because it's not <laughs> cheap to run this series and um you know to keep plugging away you know year after year you know to keep the sponsors that he's had you know to so he can race you know is a, a feat in itself because he's got to sell like any driver they have to sell themselves to race especially at this level you know with the you know with the um the srl uh, southwest tour you know it's not a you know, it's not one of your local late model programs, you know, that, you know, it's, you know, that happens in like Orindale or Kern or, you know, even at a track out next to you. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So the Southwest uh, SRL Touring Series is the same series that does the Winter Showdown and attracts so many of the drivers from across the country. But really, uh, for most of the year, it is a local Southwest Touring Group uh, that of local drivers, and I know you're you're a big fan of that series, Sal. And and we've had several of the drivers on the show here uh, that have gone on to, uh, you know, to race in uh, like the Canon or what's now known as the Arkham Menard series. And uh, and I've even seen some of the drivers kind of return back to the SRL touring series. I, I saw Dylan Lupton's name on the uh, uh, entry list and. And some of the drivers that we've talked to so many times. You know what? And it's because it's like one of the it's like one of the more one of the more popular series. Not only is it touring, but you know what? The payout, you know the, you know it's just what a lot of drivers look for. You know, is the purse. You know, and the purses mm-hmm. are you know they're 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 really good purses, and and the, the way they run the series, especially with Ricky Brooks doing the tech now, you know, mm-hmm. you know no driver is you know is above you know is above you know, another one, and, and, you know, Ricky's not afraid, you know, to, to DQ somebody, but in the same run, Ricky's not afraid, you know, to let the drivers know, you know, before, hey, you know, this, you're not going to pass tech because of this or that, you know, you should fix it, you know, and, you know, he's he's always helping them, you know, because he, like every driver out there and everybody that works for the series, they want every every driver, you know, to be able to make the show, you know, to be able to, you know, have a chance at, you know, you know, at, mm-hmm. at, you know going to victory lane. And um, it, it's really some it's really some good racing. It's really exciting. I mean, if you ever get a chance, Sharon, to get out here, you know, you got to do it on a weekend. You know, when the SRL is running, I'll tell you, you'll you'll be yeah, a, you'll be become fun. a fan. Yeah, you'll become. I'm, a fan. Well, I'm already a fan, and I haven't even seen a race yet. But but uh, uh, I know I know some of those drivers, and and Derek uh, Derek uh, Thorne was the winner, right? Oh yeah, Derek. Yeah, Derek ended up with the with the victory, and um, uh, you know it wasn't it didn't it didn't come easy. I mean, he had to fight he had to fight for this one tooth and nail with one of the local drivers from the from the um, that you know he's a, he's a local stocking driver, and by mm-hmm. far he he did not make his victory any any more easier than what you know than what it should have been. He you know, but um, yeah, he came out on top, but you know, it was all in all, it was a, it was a, another good you know weekend of racing. Um, you know, it was a little bit warm out there, and uh, you know, but you know, with the warmth, you know, I mean, 
they they adapt and, and I'll tell exactly. you it's, it's, a, it's a really good and, solid and let's, series. Let's just talk about that for a moment while we're waiting for Scott. Uh it's amazing. I was noticing, you know, they've got a thermometer in the cars now with some of the drivers so that you can see what the inter- what the temperature is in the car. And I was seeing some pretty high temps even at uh at Indianapolis this weekend, 110 in the car. But they've shown Jimmy Johnson sometimes his uh, his car is like at 140 degrees inside those cars. It's amazing how hot it gets inside those cars. And I guess this year they have to do the cooling a little bit different through their helmets, uh, which is a little different than what they've had in the past. Yeah, you know, and um, and you know, and, and it's no different over here. We had ninety-six degree, ninety-seven degree weather on Saturday. Friday was a little bit cooler, but when race time came around, you know, it was probably I don't know, maybe eighty-seven, eighty-eight. But you got to figure these drivers are wearing the fire suit. You know, they're wearing the the, the stockings underneath. A lot of them mm-hmm. are, for, you know, fireproof. You know, and then they wear the. You know, and they wear the head sock, and then they put the driving suit on, and then you got the helmet. You know that you know, and and it's um, you know, you you see them. You know they, you know they got their water bottle there during the break. You know a lot of them. You know they hit the water right away. You know, do water, put ice. You know whatever it takes to to cool down. Exactly, but, um, and they do they do a lot of hydration even before the race. Oh yeah, and I mean, after I'm are, sure. Oh yeah, they're 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 pretty well fit. I mean, we had one kid at Kern that had a he ended up with heat stroke. Mm. Um, halfway through the race, it was a red flag, and he and he called his team and said, "He goes, I, he goes, I, he goes, I need to get out of the car." He goes, "I'm about ready to pass out." And what mm-hmm. it was was, um, you know, it was hot, and he just this was his first hundred lap race. He was used to racing, you know, late models, you know, where it's only thirty five, forty laps. So he wasn't mm-hmm. used to going past the, you know, past the 40 lap, you know, then especially in these cars that are a lot faster, current's a lot faster track, and then with the heat, you know, all that, all that played into, you know, into account, you know, and, and uh, you know, they, he ended up having to get, I guess he, they took him to the hospital, he ended up getting, getting him hydrated and, um, and, uh, um, you know, get him, fix them all back up before he came back out, but then he came out for the next race, you know, he was pre- more prepared, you know, as far as um, you well, know, that makes a big difference. Oh yeah, yeah even that makes for us, a big difference. For... I've heard a lot of these drivers Sal will lose like six or eight pounds on on a race. Yeah, it's funny they they lose like some like they say you know six to eight ten ten twelve pounds, but they said but then after the race they gain it all back <laughs> because they're hungry because I'm they. Sure. Well, it's not that because then, then now it's time to have a few be- cold beers. So then they start drinking beer after. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, but, um, I'll tell you, it, it's exciting to watch watch these guys race. And I know that Southwest SRL Touring Series is a very popular series out on the West Coast. Oh yeah, it is. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I mean, it's 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 one of the better one of the most popular ones, even, even when you talk to the East coast drivers, you know, they'll talk about the SRL, you know, and, you know, the, you know, they talk mm-hmm. about the drivers that first of all, drivers that race it, the drivers who have participated in the payouts, you know, and, and you know, and how solid the series is, you know, and, uh, you know, and a few of our, few of our, 
West Coast, a few of our West Coast drivers, you know, they 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 go back, you know, and hit a couple of the East Coast races, you know, you know, oh, sure. races like the Snowball Derby, you know, Slinger Nationals, and uh, you know, the uh, um, All American Four Hundred, you know, and uh, you know, you'll you'll see them, you know, traveling back and forth. So um, it's uh, it's 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 fun, you know. It's it's been around. The series has been around for a long time, and uh, oh, okay, you know, is Scott here yet? Well, well, he's not here yet. So what I think we ought to do is start. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start the NASCAR Cup Series uh, review because I'm worried about running out of time here uh, to be able to do that. So I'm going to run down the, uh, you know, what happened in that NASCAR Cup Series. We know Kevin Harvick was the winner. Uh, and he, at age 44, in the number four Bushlight Patriotic Ford for team owner uh, Stuart Hawes Racing and crew chief Rodney Childers, he won, Kevin Harvick won the 27th annual Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400, powered by Big Machine Records. It was his 53rd victory in 698 NASCAR Cup Series races. His fourth victory and 13th top 10 finish this year, and his third victory and 8th top top 5 and 14th top 10 finish in 20 races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, Matt Kenseth finished second, uh, and uh, he posted his 13th top 10 finish in 20 races at Indianapolis, and his second top 10 finish this season. Eric Almarola finished third, posting his first top 10 finish in 10 races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And was I impressed with Cole Custer uh, finishing fifth uh, as a rookie at Indianapolis, which is not an easy track to run on. Uh, He was the highest finishing rookie of the race. Kevin Harvick, 2019-20, joins Jimmy Johnson, 2008-9, and Kyle Busch, who did it in 2015 and 16. As as the only three drivers to win consecutive Cup Series races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Okay, that's here, Sal. If you want to go ahead and introduce him. Okay. Um, actually, our, our next guest is from the um, is from the SRL Southwest Tour. Runs out here on the West Coast. Um, it was a milestone weekend for Scott. Um, Gosh, I you know made his hundred start, and you you look back and you think you know when when he made his first start to when he made this start, and, and everything that's that's gone on in between is probably uh, something you know that he'll never forget. And I know uh, he was awarded a special award on on Saturday, you know, for his for his achievements, and then um, also uh, took the time out, you know, to have every because this was uh, the JM. Um, uh, Shoot 'em up race, whatever. Anyways, they had, they they gave out hats, cowboy hats to all the to everybody that qualified. And, and Scott had all the drivers uh, uh, autographed with hats, so you have all these little momentos to go. With that, we want to welcome Scott Sanchez to the show. Welcome, Scott. Thanks for having me, Sal. Hey, so so kind of kind of run down what it was like coming into this weekend, you know, getting prepared, you know, and knowing you know you're gonna have your hundred start and. You know, just a milestone, you know, I, I know there's a lot going on within yourself, but also, you know, the series always recognizes, you know, drivers, you know, who have been around, who have contributed, you know, who have been a part of the series, you know, for all these races. 
Yeah, I mean, I said it was, uh, you know, just pretty much like any other race. Uh, you know, preparing to get ready to race. You know, it just happened to be race 100. Uh, kind of hard to believe it's in 100. Uh, you know, started way back in 2001. Um, so, you know, I've written, you know, on and off with the series. So, I saw that race consecutively the series. Uh, became the But, um, you know, I'm going to get 100. You know, I'm the second guy to do it. I, I kind of was hoping to be the first, but, uh, Jake Jones. Got there before I did, and uh, what's even more impressive is Jake, Jake has 102, and they're all consecutive. So that's uh, quite a quite a not only get to 100, but do them and not miss a single race doing it. Yeah, that that is that is an that is an amazing feat. And, and you know what? I was thinking in the back of my head, I knew there was someone else who had just done it. Uh, I think it was this year that he had celebrated it, but so. In between all that, Scott, how, how did you manage to, to to stay on the track? You know, you know, with, you know, sponsorship. You know, um, especially running the series. You know, it's not cheap. You know, the, you know, the cars don't come cheap. You know, traveling doesn't come cheap. You know, with the, especially with it being a traveling series, it's not like you made a hundred starts at, say, uh, Madeira. You know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a regular at Madeira. You know, so I made my hundred starts there. But you know, you had to travel for these hundred starts. Yeah, I mean. Part of that traveling is uh, kind of what makes it uh, attractive to me is, you know, I, I like going to different tracks, you know, not just uh, racing the same place week in, week out, you know, at the same location. Um, and I, I kind of I just look at it as, you know, racing is kind of my outlet and what I like to do. And um, I don't go on big vacations per day or, you know, I'm not into, you know, any other hobby other than racing. So, um, there, to me, it's like taking 10 little mini vacations a year. So, um, I just, I just try to look at it with that mindset and, um, you know, I make, make the racing kind of, you know, my, uh, my personal outlet of, you know, getting away, even though it's different kind of, you know, stress and uh, work, um, you know, a lot different than, you know, what, what you do in your day-to-day life, you know, your normal, you know, career or work, so. You know, I, I think actually the only vacation I've ever seen was to Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if I'm at, if, if you see a picture of me on social media at Home Depot, that means I'm making money, so... Um, when I'm when I'm tagged or photo bombed at Home Depot, it's a uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, because I know most of the time I'll I'll see uh, you know I'll see I'll see um, you know, you know people you know yeah we're leaving you know we're getting ready to go they'll take selfies with their with their significant other you know they say yeah we're here you know in the Bahamas or we're here in Vegas or whatever, and whenever I see a, a picture of you and Michelle, you guys are at Home Depot and I'm like wow I says that's a, a pretty awesome vacation right there. <laughs> yeah, she she hasn't done she hasn't done it much as of late, but uh, she used to like to catch me and you know get a selfie or whatever you want to call photo bomb of me, you know picking out whatever part I needed for the next day at my job site. So uh, without me noticing, so and a lot of times, a lot of, you know, it gets real quiet, and uh, you know I, I turn to see what she's doing, and right as I'm turning, that's when she, you know, she 
she snaps the, the photo and you know kind of gotcha. So 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 with the hundred with these hundred starts, is there one race that just really stands out? You know, above you know above and beyond, you know the other ninety nine starts. Um. I have to say, probably, you know, the one that I kind of had the best run at was 2010. We had a uh, standalone race. It wasn't necessarily a points race, but it was an SRL sanctioned race. Uh, it was called the Kennedy Classic. The Saturday after Thanksgiving down at Irwindale. And um, I had a little issue with qualifying, and um, the, the transition wouldn't come out of the first year. So when I went to qualified, you know, I couldn't get up to speed, so I couldn't post the time, so I started dead last on the field, and through the course of the race, um, I made it all the way up to fourth, so, um, and, and, I, and I, had, I had a great car, it was a brand new car that weekend, that uh, was going to help me prepare and build, and uh, so I was pretty nervous, but at the end of the weekend, you know, I came home with a fourth place finish, had the, had the race been just a few laps longer. Uh, might have got up to second. Uh, if I remember right, MKK won that race. And, uh, he was pretty lights out that day. Wow, that's awesome. Now, with that, I'm going to turn it over to the show, to the host, Sharon, because I know she has a few questions she asked for you. All right. Hi, Scott. Hello. How are you tonight? I, I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on the show with us tonight, and congratulations on 100 starts in the SRL Touring Series. I um, I was thinking about this, and I'm, I'm thinking probably one of the more challenging things about being able to race 100 races in the same series was keeping the same team together. Do you have anybody who's been with you for all 100 races, or has there been a um, lot of changes? Um, it's kind of changed from the beginning to now. Um, you know, I've actually, uh, I don't live in the same area that I, that when I first started racing, so, um, some of the people that helped me early on, uh, obviously don't live close by, so, um, so it's, it's a little bit of a challenge, you know, finding help to the races here and there, but, um, you know, for the most part, I've got a, two or three friends that come to the on a regular basis that help, help me, you know, get to the racetrack and do our thing. Well, that's uh, what would we do without friends? Uh, so that's that's really cool uh, that you have that kind of support. And then, um, is you is you mentioned was it Michelle? Yes. Yeah. Uh, does how does Michelle support you in your racing? So she's my girlfriend, and we've been together for seven years. And we actually met through the tour. Um, she used to work at um, Mason Marin Race, Raceway as an official, and then uh, when Larry Collins and that uh, took over to tour, uh, they asked her to come work for them, and uh, that's how we met. Uh, we were friends for a couple of years, and then it just kind of blossomed into something a little bit more, and uh, we've been together for seven years. That's fantastic. Does she go? Does she enjoy the racing as, as much as you? She does. Uh, she does. It works out really, really well. I mean, she's a she's an official with the series. She runs the scales, and then she runs the spotter stand during the actual race. 
So, uh, you know, obviously we travel to the races together every week. And uh, but when it's you know when we get to the racetrack, she goes her way. I I park my rig and I unload my car and do my thing. And you know we'll see each other, you know, a handful of times over the course of the weekend. And obviously, yet you know at the end of each night, you know, we have the same hotel room. But uh, it works out great. You know, she enjoys racing. I'm what I love to do. So um, it really worked out. It's a perfect match. Right. You know. (laughs) I know a lot. I know a lot of guys that love racing that race, but you know they have a lot of struggles with uh, significant others that aren't maybe into racing as much as they are. And, uh, I'm I'm really fortunate to to be with someone that enjoys it as much as I do. Absolutely, absolutely. That's really important. Uh, it's it's a huge accomplishment. We were talking about how popular the Southwest Touring Series is, and. Uh, uh, I think it's huge kudos to you to uh, have that 100 races. And I know you said it's just like any other race, uh, but it, it's something to be celebrated, Scott. So take a moment and, and uh, acknowledge, you know, I'm I'm glad we can take a moment to acknowledge uh, that accomplishment and milestone for you. So congratulations. Thank you so much. It's uh taking a lot of work and we've gotten there and uh, I guess it's on to the next hundred, right? That's right. That's right. Okay, Sal, back to you. Hey, Scott, throughout the years, you know, of course, everybody knows in order to make these races, there has to be people behind the scenes with your your sponsors. Um, who, who are your sponsors uh, that, you're, that, you're, that you've been running for, like, say, the past... Um, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 races, maybe even longer than that? Um, yeah, so probably for the last two or three years, uh, at least, yeah, call it two years, uh, um, David Mulcahy, with, or, you know, more affectionately known as Homie with Retro Custom Metals, uh, has, has helped me. Um, Thomas Gibson with Gibson Crane helps me. Um, without the, either of them, it would it'd be much more difficult for me to, to actually get to these races and, um, you know, be able to compete in the le- at the level that I do. Um, so I got, I have to thank them. Um, and besides that, you know, I get help from, you know, there's, there's probably not a single team that runs the tour that hasn't helped me at the racetrack at one point or the other over the, over the course of those 100 starts. So, um, and that's just kind of the, the feeling that the tour has, that, you know, we're all kind of in it together and, you know, any one team has a problem, um, you know, another team will step up, whether it's a part or, you know, helping you push your car to their check or whatever. Um, but just, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of help. Uh, I also got to really mention um, Byron Campbell, Mike Dean, and Derek Thorne. Um, they helped me pretty much every race with uh, you know, getting my car set up right with information and you know, I worked there for two or three years under my team and I learned a lot and um, you know I don't I don't know if I would still be doing it if, uh, if I didn't have those connections with those guys wow that's really awesome you know uh, and it, you know and, it, and the way the racing community works you know what and you know you need that um uh camaraderie you know not only you know from you know from your fellow drivers you know but from other team members you know like you you know mentioned mike Keane, who's uh who's a crew chief for Derek, and um 
and Carlos Berry, you know, to come over and help, you know, and then, you know, plus the other teams. I've seen uh, um, Keith Spangler over there helping, you know, Keith himself is a driver, you know, and, you know, just right. other people come in and help. You know, I think that that's pretty neat, you know, that you can get that kind of support, you know, and, you know, and make it and make this milestone like you did. Right. Yeah, just all, you know, definitely all help, you know, every little bit of help. And uh, whether it's just a letting a helping hand or, you know, buying a set of tires, um, you know, it, it all it all makes a difference. Well, Scott, we just want to congratulate you again on, on, the, on the accomplishment. And you know what, if, if, um, how, how can our, how can our listeners follow you through social, you know, what, you know, what are your social media channels? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have, uh, my own personal, which is just Scott Sanchez on Facebook. And then I have Scott Sanchez racing on Facebook. And then I also am on uh, Instagram, SRL 24. Um, you can follow me on any one of those three pages, uh, and kind of see uh, where, we're, where we're headed in the next race and how we did. Well, Scott, we just want to say um, best of luck the rest of the season, and uh, thanks for you know coming on you know and sharing your story with us. And I guess we'll see you at a at a racetrack here pretty soon. Yep. I thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to have me on, and uh, we'll see you down in Irwindale in uh, what is it, thirteen, twelve days, something like that. Yeah, somewhere around there. All right. Well, thank you guys for having me on, and uh, we'll see you then. All right. Thanks, Scott. Good night, thanks again. Scott. Okay. Thanks. All right. That was fun. Uh, big accomplishment uh, for Scott Sanchez, uh, hitting 100 races uh, in the Southwest SRL Touring Series. Uh, that was a fun conversation, so. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's, I thought there was more drivers that had reached the hundred race, but you know, like you mentioned Jacob Gomes, you know, and gosh, you know, and Jacob Only Gomes hundred straight. That is insane. Never missed a start. Wow. That's fantastic. From his, from his, <laughs> from his very first start. Amazing. Yeah. From his very first start, he never missed one, but you know, but then for Scott to reach it too, you know what, you know, he'd been the mm-hmm. second one, you know, to reach a hundred, you know, I mean, I, I don't. I'd have to go back and check the list to see how many are even close to 100 starts. Right, That's seriously. a lot of starts when you think about it. That is a seriously it lot is. of starts. It is. Uh, and and they don't race every week. They you know he mentioned it will be 12, 15 days before the next race. But uh, exactly. so I do want to I do want to make sure that we do finish up our Cup Series review here. I did go over the top three drivers with uh, Kevin Harvick, Matt Kenseth, Eric Almarola. In fourth place is Brad Keselowski, and of course we mentioned the highest finishing rookie, Cole Custer, uh, finishing in fifth, uh, which is just amazing. Kyle Busch, uh, Michael McDowell, Tyler Reddick, another rookie, uh, finishing in eighth. Bubba Wallace finished ninth, and Joey Logano rounds out the top ten. Christopher Bell, by the way, another rookie, uh, finishing in 12th place. Uh, there are actually four rookies in the top 15 at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Sal. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's one of the toughest tracks. But you know what, real quick, you, uh, I'm, I'm sure Kevin Harvick is going to he's gonna have a big old birthday present or, or Christmas present for Cole Custer at the end of the season because, man, that push that he gave Kevin Harvick, oh, yeah. he shot him out like a cannon. <laughs> 
he gave him a really good push, and and that was pretty cool to see. Uh, my my brother and I were talking about that uh, when it was they were setting up for that restart. We're like, oh, Cole's going to be behind Kevin. Kevin's going to be depending on that push, and sure enough, Cole came through. I was real proud of him. Yeah. Okay. He, it now, was, it was really, okay. Yeah, that that was fantastic. Uh, William Byron won stage one. Stage two was won by Kevin Harvick, and, of course, he won that third stage. Uh, there were nine caution flags for 43 laps and 11 lead changes among just nine drivers in this race. Uh, let's go ahead and hit the um, uh, series point standings now. All right, the points is we, that we see in the um, Kevin Harvick is still up in first, leading it. Second is Chase Elliott. Third is Brad Keselowski. Fourth, Ryan Blaney. Fifth is Denny Hamlin. Okay, and Denny and, you know and what? Kevin are the only ones with four wins. Yeah, and you know what? And, and you you really got to keep uh, Ryan Blaney's tire guy in, in your prayers for the oh yes, yeah, Zach Price on the. Uh, on the uh, pit lane, boy, that was that was that was horrible. That was that was not that was a, a pretty sight. Yeah, that was very scary to watch, and uh, uh, I was glad to see him waving and smiling uh, as they were putting him on the stretcher and, and taking him to the ambulance uh, because that was very very scary. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons he was smiling was because he said. It's hot and enough to wear this dang mask anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's move on and down we go, the points report. Okay, six, six is Joey Logano, seventh Martin Truex Jr., eighth is Alex Bowman, ninth is Eric Almarola, and tenth is Kyle Busch. Still without a win. Amazing, isn't it? It is. I mean, everybody expects him to. He should have had a win by now. A couple wins, you know. It's being the uh, last year's champion, you know. Mhm. And then, um, then we go down to Kurt Busch, eleventh. Matt D. Benet, D. Benedetto, twelfth. Clint Boyer, thirteenth. William Byron, fourteenth. Jimmy Johnson, twelfth. Fifteenth, and Austin Dillon rounds out the top sixteen. Jimmy's just going to keep dropping week, week to week. Until, until he, um, he's able to get, get back. COVID. Yeah, until he's able to come back. Yeah, so right that, now that, he's that, that. he's not uh you know, you gotta pray for that family too, for the Johnson family, you know, and you know, that he'll he'll come through with it, you know, and be able to get back out of the track. Yeah, he was talking about the challenges of you know, his wife was diagnosed first. She had flu like not flu, but uh allergy symptoms so she was vigilant and went and was tested for the COVID-19 virus and it turned out that she had it Uh, so that resulted in why Jimmy went to have the test it turns out he also had it he's asymptomatic but uh, uh, both parents in that family have COVID-19 and he was talking about the challenges of being a parent and addressing the concerns of the girls I think they're what uh, they're they're relatively young, seven and under, um, or maybe nine and under. I'm not sure, but they they uh, were a little bit scared to know that both of their parents had the COVID-19 virus. And uh, Jimmy said, we, you know, they're responsible for feeding them 
and, you know, just the challenge of doing that. Uh, and there was really some good insight on uh, what they were dealing with as a family. So you're right. Uh, they they need all the thoughts and prayers that we can send their way, and they certainly have ours. Yeah, you know, and you know, yeah, you it's, know it's it's not so bad that it's bad Jimmy that Johnson, but this Johnson. is his, it's supposed to be his farewell tour. Mm-hmm. And now we get the COVID nineteen, so that we don't even have no fans that you know that can you know uh, you know like the tracks you know they'll do something for him, but with no fans, what do you do? You know, and then he ends up with the COVID nineteen, you know, the sidelines and the you know I'm. If I was Jimmy, I would say I'm going to run one more season just so I can have that farewell tour next year. Yeah, it's really amazing that this whole 2020 season, I keep saying I think the earth is off its axis or something because it's just been one of the most bizarre years of my entire life. Um, So, yeah, to be going through, it just seems like there are just crazy things that are happening all, all year long. But uh, we really wish him a speedy recovery, and we hope to see him back at the track real soon. Are you going to be at the track, Sal? Yeah, Orindale this yeah, week, and we're back to our no-fan late model program. Oh, okay. Our, our, you know, just, you know, just our regular racing program back this weekend. Okay. Well, Sal, thanks for all that you do. We appreciate you, and we'll look forward to uh, coming back and doing this again on Monday night next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a safe weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. Okay, Sal. Take care now. Okay. All right. Good night. Good night. All right. We are at the top of the hour, and that means it is time for probably the liveliest half hour or hour, however it turns out to be, uh, of the entire show with our Fan for Racing crew. And joining me here tonight is our uh, one of our Fan for Racing crew members. Jay Huseman. Uh I don't know if Andy's going to be able to join us tonight or not. I'm thinking he said no. All right. Well, I know we had heard from Mike, and Mike didn't think he was able to. Uh, I couldn't remember what Andy had going. Yeah, I'm not sure if Andy's going to come or not. I hope he is. But uh, uh, definitely looking forward to the Hot Topic uh, Sound Off conversation here tonight. And, Jay, I'm going to let you start us off. Well, obviously, with this past weekend, uh, some very historic things there at Indianapolis Motor Speedway with IndyCar and NASCAR teaming up and work uh, racing at the same track, same location over the weekend. But the Xfinity race on the road course uh, was new and wanted to get to get the reflection. We had our thoughts about it going in. Now we got to take a look at what they are coming out. Well, it's funny that you brought up IndyCar and, and Xfinity racing same day, same track, because uh, I brought that up a little bit earlier. And uh, I'll tell you what, that Xfinity race was far and above better <laughs> than the IndyCar race. Uh, Scott Dixon, kudos to him for winning, uh, and he won by a commanding lead, uh, but it was not nearly as exciting as that Xfinity Series race that happened a little bit later in the day. Uh, And the racing was just phenomenal in the Xfinity Series race. I hope they race there again. Uh, And I hope that the Cup races there uh, next time as well. I would love to see the Cup Series race that road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Jay. 
Well, and that it was obviously a kind of a two point, a two part question when you look at the Xfinity series and then the possibility of the Cup there. Uh, we'll start with the Xfinity. I had, I'd have to agree with you. Some great racing for an inaugural event. You couldn't ask for a better finish than what we got. No matter how it comes about, that finish, you can't ask for any more than that. I know road courses have provided that as of recent. Um, I guess this might be a three or four part question or point to it, but um, so when we look at it with the cup series, we saw what Charlotte did with the Roval and now Indianapolis has done it with the Brickyard. But again, is it keep it select or are we going to see more of this? I know there's been talk of it at a couple of different tracks. So the question becomes of, okay, these are good, but what becomes too many? Well, I know a lot of people complain about the racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. They complain that NASCAR is there. They feel that NASCAR has no place at Indianapolis. I I strongly disagree with that. It's it's part of the Indianapolis uh, history there, and uh, I I do think that this road court is an opportunity uh, to to for us to see some really outstanding racing. Uh, from the NASCAR drivers. And to me, I agree, I don't want to see them do it at too many other tracks because, excuse me, I got the hiccups all of a sudden, but uh, the Roval turned out to be great. I, I don't know that I was really in favor of the Roval at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, it has produced some good racing, in which, by the way, I think it was Chase Briscoe who won the first race on the Roval for the Xfinity Series, um, as well as now winning the road course here at Indianapolis. But um, I I would say I think this – I don't know what other tracks they're thinking about doing it at, but I would stop right here because this is uh, exciting racing at at, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And uh, with all of the aura that surrounds that track – and uh, the the history history of that track, Gasoline Alley, none of that can be duplicated anywhere else. And, and I just think uh, if we can bring more exciting racing uh, to that track, that's a win 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 for everybody. So not in favor of necessarily doing it at any other tracks. I like what we've got. Well, well, I'm going to pose a question to you then. If they, they are considering it for the Cup Series, there are a couple other things that they can do with the Brickyard race itself. One, and I guess this kind of ties into what I had as my next topic, but something needs to be done. I agree with that of the NASCAR, the Cup Series, the stock cars on that oval. But I think that can be done with the package we've seen in the past they've worked on, as well as tires. We saw some tire issues this weekend. I don't like that because I yeah, it was the year after I attended the Brickyard. Um, the, what they called the tire debacle. And that one was horrible. This, we had a couple of failures. I don't like to see that, but... Yeah, see, I know. That's why I said I, I felt lucky. That was one of those I got to be there but the year before that because the following year and a couple years after that were pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like them to see them do something different, and, and I say different. I don't. It's not going to be way outside the box different. But a night race at Indianapolis might be their different. Talking about one that maybe should do a road course. Are there lights at Indianapolis? Because to put lights 
up at Indianapolis would be an enormous cost. That is a huge trip. But with it being boxed in the way it is, it's really not. And I, I really thought there were lights in India. I might be wrong. I don't recall seeing any night races at Indy. We'll have to check that out. Well, okay. Well, then I'll retract that. As long as I'm not one of the ones paying the bill. I know Andy's not here to sign me up to pay the tab, but um, I think that's a possibility anyway. Um, of one of the things they could do there to still keep it on the roval and like I said, or on the uh, oval, but to keep that one as the brickyard itself. One, I look at a possibility of maybe doing on a road course is Daytona for their second trip because that's one, there's some that don't like the super speedway um, racing. You still have the Daytona mm-hmm. 500. You still have two at Talladega. So doing that second race at Daytona on the road course might be one to look at. That, this is from my perspective. I think I know where this is leading. <laughs> well, and I know that it is now the final cutoff race, which adds that extra element, which they wanted with it being on a super speedway as well. So you're still getting that, um, the final race before the playoffs, that final spot or final race. So I think it would be twofold to that. They're still getting what they wanted there. You're taking away a little bit of the super speedway racing, which some fans, not all, but some don't like to see. So that's one where I would look at maybe doing the road course. Okay. Uh, I could see that happening. I would not want to do it for the Daytona 500. Oh, no, obviously not. Day- no, obviously not. Yeah, that, that needs to stay as is. Uh, but the possibility of doing it for that second Daytona race or the cutoff race, as you mentioned, because that's where they are now is at the cutoff, um, would would be interesting, and I could see that happening. I was afraid that you were maybe leading up to something that was suggested, uh, I think, on our last Hot Topics of having the trucks, the Xfinity, and the Cup Series, similar to what they do with the Rolex 24, all racing on the track at the same time. That I'm not in favor of. Well, no, that, that one, I, I still, and I think you guys kind of did bring me to it of maybe doing that as the exhibition or all-star race, that Daytona, especially the road course, would be a spot of it being an option to do. Um, I wouldn't want that for a points race. You know, like I said, the, the more we talked about that, you guys kind of ran me in on that. I know I had some wild and crazy ideas that I've heard in the past and added to it, but um, I do think that down the line, whether it be be kind of maybe be even at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year of a champion's race, like we talked about getting, so you take the top five from the truck series, top five from the Xfinity, top five from the cup. You can't put all of them out there, obviously. So that's why I say it it can't be any kind of points race or anything, or in the case of an all-star event, which would then include the trucks in the Xfinity, which don't have their all-star. But no, this, this was strictly about a points race. If they go in the direction of adding more of these road courses at particular tracks. And like I said, I know there's a majority of fan, or a chunk of fans that aren't in favor of the super speedway racing. You still got the two Talladega races. You still have the Daytona 500. This would maybe bring that back, uh, those fans back to, okay, I'll accept this because I still get this. Yeah. 
I, I could maybe see that becoming a road course for one race out of the year, uh, and uh, I think it would make it uh, very interesting. Um, I'm trying to look up here to see if they have lights at Indianapolis. I'm not thinking that there is there are any lights at Indianapolis. Well, I know it was well, discussed it was because discussed that one because a lot of times had to do with the race date during the time of the year with the heat, and that was brought up as a possibility of doing it as a night race, and I guess maybe I just kind of assumed they did have light. I didn't realize that would be then that investment, but uh, Penske has shown if, if you know an investment needs to be made, he's willing to make it. Well, if anybody can do it, it would be Roger Penske. We'll have to wait and see if that comes up on his to-do list. Uh, lights at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but I would think he'd have to get other people involved in helping to finance that because that is a huge, huge cost, I think, for a track that big. I know there's a there's a golf course in the middle. Uh, there's all kinds of things in the middle of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but that road course is, is uh, certainly uh, made some exciting racing in the Xfinity Series, and I think it could make... Uh, for some exciting racing in the Cup Series. I, and that that was a question, and I was hoping to get, you know, I know Andy and, and Mike, uh, some feedback on that. Of Are some of these more designed for the Xfinity? I know they're not a whole lot lighter car, but they do have a little bit different with the horsepower, so that maybe those ones like that, you know, maybe the Cup guys wouldn't be as good, uh, the Cup Series on, on that same track. Uh, that comes into play as well. You think the Cup Series wouldn't put on a good uh, road course race at Indianapolis? The possibility? I don't know. I know I they say. The with the the package and the horsepower. Uh, I know that one was restricted. What they they said was two, maybe three ideal passing zones. Obviously, during the Xfinity race, we saw a couple where maybe they weren't listed as a passing zone, but guys made it happen. Um, so with the higher horsepower Cup cars that that would be even harder because, again, then you're trying to slow a car down. You're going to have more wrecks than you are racing. Yo. Well, we've seen, we've seen the Cup Series race on road courses before, and some of those, I mean, I think about the hairpin turn uh, that they have to deal with. These drivers know how to deal with those kinds of things. They become very proficient at road course racing. I, I feel that the NASCAR Cup Series could handle what what uh, Indianapolis has to offer on the road course. See, now, and now my, my counter-argument to that is, and it sounds like I may be on both sides, but we actually did see some good racing from the Cup Series on the standard ro- uh, ro- uh, course at, at Indy in this year's Brickyard. Unfortunately, uh, with Danny Hamlin having the issue he had, it never came down to a side-by-side. But like I said, I think there are some things that NASCAR could still work on with the package as well as the tires that could produce that versus changing over to the road course first. Right. I was wondering how much of the tire issue that they were experiencing at Indianapolis had to do with, because we haven't seen those kind of tire issues at that track before. And these tires were literally burning up uh, and flames coming out of the cars. Um, 
we saw, I think it wasn't that William Byron, it literally towards the front wheel well and hood off of the car when that tire fell apart. Um, and some of those tires, when they were coming in, they literally fell apart uh, uh, before they even got to pit road. So I I do think they need to work on that tire uh, for sure because that track is known to be just brutal on tires. But I was wondering if part of the problem there isn't the fact, and we've, we've seen this on some other tracks, uh, the drivers, NASCAR always gives them a variance with the air pressure, how much air pressure they is the recommended air pressure. But drivers, uh, crew chiefs, they like to push that envelope and push it maybe just a little bit more to see if they can get something more out of the car. Um, do you think there was some of that going on this weekend and that was why we saw so many of those cars have issues? Because not all the cars had those issues. Uh, say I know it because that's what NASCAR teams do. Uh, you're right. They, they're given a recommendation in this case. Same goes with the camber that they put in the cars. I know on a, on a flat track like Indy, you're not doing that as much. But, again, these guys are going to push it to the limit, which does abuse the tires. I know Larry McReynolds covered part of that on his uh, segment on um, the Ford, Ford Performance Tech Garage. So you know that they are pushing it uh, no matter what the limit is or what the recommendation is. And you're right, we haven't seen the tire itself be that kind of problem, so I don't know if that was a tire problem or if you could put it on the teams that were pushing too harsh. Uh, back in, and I want to say that was, uh, what year did you go to the Brickyard? Oh, what year was that? I, I can't even remember what year it was. I want to say maybe maybe around 2005-ish. Okay, and I, I would have said 0405 is when I went, and I know it was that following year. And, and the weird thing there was, and I don't remember, there was something about they had just how they cut that track, diamond cut it or something, the grooves in it. But those were were powdering. I mean, that the car, the tires after 10 laps yeah. were just worn out because, and that was a powder. Uh, which was really mm-hmm. weird, where, versus this year, it was the tire blowing out, which makes me think, like you are, that maybe the teams were responsible for it. And I know it's ironic to say, but that might be one of those, and I know that's where they first tested this uh, lower horsepower package. Slower might be better for a track like that. Uh, it's kind of contradictory when we're talking about racing, but slower might be better. Mm-hmm. Right, and and... You know, you got to save the drivers from themselves sometimes, and the same goes with the crew chiefs. They're trying to do everything they can to give their driver the best advantage that they can give them, and that means pushing the limits. I get that. But uh, I was worried for some of those drivers uh, when you saw the kind of flames uh, that were coming out of those cars. And I think it happened in the Xfinity Series race, too, if I remember correctly, on the road course. So, uh, you know, you got to do something uh, to keep these drivers from playing around with those air pressures. And, and like you say, I don't think the camber was as much of a big deal, a big deal at uh, Indianapolis with the flat track. But so, somewhere along the line, uh, you got to do something to protect these drivers from themselves. That is that is very true, and I know that you you mentioned there were a couple in the Xfinity. 
uh, even on the road course. So that that one again, road course racing. I know. Uh, I'm trying to think. What was it? Austin Cendrick uh, went into the car or went into the corner too hard and had to really dynamite the brakes and flat spotted it. So that was part of his. So it's tough to compare the road course to the regular track because road course racing, you got a little bit different tire wear you're going to have on the car and the tires anyway. But we saw Brandon Jones uh, have exactly the same kind of thing that the Cup Series drivers were having, where he had flames literally throughout that car uh, and had to stop the car and get out. He was trying to get out of there as fast as he could. And I know they discussed that, whether or not it was a brake fluid or oil fluid, and I don't know if they ever came to a final conclusive decision on that of what it is that did cause the flames. Uh, I know he mentioned he was having brake problems, didn't have faith in his brakes when he'd go to step on them, um, and then he had that problem. It did appear to be brake, but... Like they talked about during the broadcast, brake fluid wouldn't have lasted that long or created that big a fire that it almost had to be oil, but they didn't. Like I said, I never heard a conclusive uh, on that of what broke. I didn't either. I'd be interested in hearing more about what they discovered about that car uh, because that was that was very scary. And it, even in the cup race when those drivers were having those issues, with each and every one, I was like, get out of there, get out of there, get out of there. Um, because uh, those those were scary situations. Okay, anything else that you've got on your list, Sal? Or Sal. I called Sal J, now I'm calling you Sal. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're, you're keeping it fair, you know, cross, cross over both of them. <laughs> okay, J. <Jay. laughs> Any other topics um, you have on your list? Um, yeah, I got, uh, let's see, three, I think, yet, or a couple. And, again, some of them are multi-layered. But talk about the COVID-19. I know I was one that said I was kind of in favor of the no practice, and I thought it felt, felt it benefited the lower teams that they might be able to catch up to the top guys. But we're seeing it even at the in the ranks of the top teams, some of them that aren't, some of them aren't. And I specifically take Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin. They have excelled during this period of no practice time, showing up with the car as they need it, whereas another top driver from another Joe Gibbs uh, team, the team, of Kyle Busch who's saying hey we need that time that practice time because we're not hitting it when we get to the track we need that practice time I find that really fascinating uh, in a lot of aspects because Kyle Busch is our defending champion Uh, he he won the uh, Cup Series uh, uh, title last fall and coming into this season I know sometimes when that happens uh, with a championship team, they come into the next season a little bit behind because they put all of their focus into winning that championship. Um, and and I think I was thinking that was part of what Kyle Busch is going through. But we're gone past the halfway part of the season, and we're still not seeing the kind of Kyle Busch kind of finishes that we're used to seeing from him. Um, and I understand what he's saying, that they're hurting mostly from the practices. But I go back to what uh, we've heard them say before. There are drivers that are not getting practices that are doing well. So what that tells me is that you just got to get your nose to the grindstone and, and make that happen. 
if you want to be up there racing with the big dogs. Uh, and not to say that Kyle Busch isn't a big dog, because he certainly is. He's a he's a two-time uh, Cup Series champion. He's struggling this year because of the practice. But rather than complain about it, figure out a way to make the car as good as it can be when you get to the racetrack. And and that's what I think, you know, NASCAR is challenging them with, with this no practice thing. It's kind of an inadvertent thing because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But everybody, I, a lot of people that I talk to say that the racing has been so much better without the practices and that it's kind of evened it out. We were talking about it even with the Cup Series, you know, seeing names that you don't normally see up in the top ten in that Xfinity Series especially. Uh, You know, you had Alex LeBay finishing eighth. You had Preston uh, Pardis finishing in tenth place. Um, and, And this is in amongst all of these veterans of the Xfinity Series as well as the road course aces. Uh, these guys were up there racing right with them. So uh, I, I think it does make the racing so much more exciting, and it brings parity, if you will, uh, to the road, to the track uh, and gives some of these other teams a chance to get their sponsors uh, some uh, exposure and, and recognition for what their drivers are certainly capable of doing. And that was that was kind of my thought going in, but I also did feel, and I think it was Mike that made the statement, you know, the top teams are still going to be the top teams, but how is it then one of the top teams isn't? And when I take a look at it, I see part of it as Toyota, which is, it's kind of a mixture. We haven't seen what we've seen in the past out of Martin Truex. I mean, he's had good runs, but he's also, some of it just bad luck, bad spot, whatever. But we haven't seen him up front like we're used to. Obviously, Kyle Busch, but yet Denny Hamlin is the one that's winning. Now, with that, though, Denny Hamlin is also still lacking because Harvick has four wins and 22 playoff points, I believe, and is leading the standings. Denny Hamlin has four wins and 23 playoff points, and yet is in fifth or sixth. I, I don't remember when I looked at it earlier today. So he's also still had his share of bad finishes or not up to par, whereas Harvick has been more consistent. When you look at Kyle Busch, if we go back to last year, he won the race at Homestead, got the championship, but prior to that, he hadn't won a race since June or July. I don't remember exactly when. So he went through this gap last year, won the Homestead in the championship, but then came out this year again and hasn't been quite up to Kyle Busch, Joe Gibbs Racing, Toyota standards either. So I look at his as kind of a whole year-long struggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing. I was just trying to compare the stats here between Kevin Harvick. Uh, they don't really give us the top tens and top fives uh, here. But, uh, yeah, they, they seem so similar. I mean, when I look at uh, Denny Hamlin's stats, he's got the four wins. He's got three stage wins, which is one more than Kevin Harvick, who also has the four race wins. Uh, and he has 23 playoff points compared to Kevin Harvick's 22 playoff points. And yet uh, somehow Kevin Harvick is up there. It's got to it's, it's have something to do with the top fives and the top tens. Harvick obviously has been finishing uh, 
probably up in the top five, uh, I think, a lot more than what Denny Hamlin has been. And that's probably where the difference uh, lies here between these two drivers. I'll have to look elsewhere to see if I can find those uh, top tens and top uh, top uh, five numbers. But um, I, I do, you know, you bring up some good points, but I do think that, again, it goes back to just getting your nose to the grindstone and and you got to think out of the box uh, in these situations. It's those drivers that can uh, make adapt to the new situation more quickly uh, that tend to excel, and that's what a champion does. A champion adapts to those kinds of situations and and makes makes the situation work for them versus against them. And and that's what I think uh, some of these teams need to to kind of uh, you know what what you were doing before is not necessarily what's going to work, and you've got to do some things differently if you want to get better results under the given situation and circumstances. And I think that's what it it all boils down to in the end here. I'm going to do the spiel here, and then I'm going to come back to you. Uh, I think I've got a couple of new listeners here tonight. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, both Bannon and Carla. I hope they're still listening at this point. Um, And I just want to just say that we go off the air at 10.30 p.m. sharp. Uh, And what happens is that we continue recording the rest of the conversation past that 10.30 mark. And I'm talking 10.30 Eastern, not Central. So... Um, what will happen is that uh, we finish our conversation. I go out on Twitter and let people know that the podcast is available. It's usually sometime around uh, 10 o'clock Eastern time. And then what happens is that we then, uh, that you can then go to the uh, point that you've listened to, the two-hour mark, and then listen to the rest of that conversation and hear the rest of what we had to say during our overtime segment uh, past that 10.30 mark of the Eastern time. So we like to give that feedback uh, at this point because we may have new listeners uh, that don't know that that's what's happening when we go off the air mid-sentence. So just to kind of keep everybody informed and let them know how they can hear the rest of the conversation. Okay, Jay. Uh, let's let's hear what you have to say. Well, and I, I've kind of come to the conclusion now when it comes to that of I do think they need to qualify. I don't like that the way that it's been interesting, the fact that they had to do it, the random draw. But I do think when capable, they do need to go back to qualifying. And like I said, my suggestion is they give them a 45-minute window. You go out, you get practice during that is your qualifying whenever you choose to do it in that window the fastest time is going to be your qualifying uh time but then it also combines the two so it's qualifying and practice together and it is a shorter window we've seen tracks have two 50 minute sessions shorten it down to one session maybe 45 to 50 minutes but it also includes qualifying and then be done with it Okay, and and that's not a bad suggestion. I do think that they still need to keep it to just one day. Here's the thing. It it saves a ton of money for these teams 
and that money can be spent in other ways, and that may be part of what we're seeing from some of these other teams that are underfunded is they've been able to take that money that they're saving by not being there a whole weekend. They can use that money toward a better car uh, so that they can be more competitive on the track. So I think doing as much as they can to keep it to a one-day event I think is really, really important here. And that's where the cream is going to rise to the top because those guys that figure out how to make it work for them are the guys that I think deserve to get a championship uh, when it's all said and done. And I and I do agree with that of, of the cost cutting measures. Some of the ones that they've they've looked at and talked about doing would help those underfunded teams, like you mentioned, redistribute their funds. So, and again, hopefully that brings it a little bit closer throughout the field. Um, but you're going to still see the top teams be the top teams. The one other aspect uh, under the COVID uh, issue that, and I don't know how big a role. I know that it kind of got mentioned, but that the restriction of team members at the track, what happened on pit road during the brickyard, obviously it's a tight pit road and was a possibility of happen. but they also mentioned that with spotters, you got the crew chief that's going down to actually help with the pit stop and was still responsible for partially calling the driver in, that maybe that kind of created that by not having those extra two that are separate to be helping the driver in a case like that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I heard them say something about expanding pit road, Roger Pinsky making that his next project. And I got to tell you, there's no room to expand that pit road. <laughs> so I don't see that happening. That's, that's kind of a landlocked situation at Indianapolis Motor Speedway when you've got seats on both sides of the track, and it would be a major, major overhaul of changing the pagoda, uh, of changing the seating, and everything else. And I don't know. Again, it would be one of those things that you'd have to get a, a group of people together to do the funding to change that. And then you're changing the whole historic aspect of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So I don't know that widening that pit road is really going to happen. But um, you bring up some points about uh, the crew chief doing some of the crew, crew pit duties. Is that what you were saying? Uh, yes. And why is that happening? Again, because they're limited on the number of people, and I'm trying to think specifically which crew chief they mentioned, but, um, yeah, they're not necessarily just sitting up on the pit box like they normally do. And there, too, we normally you see four or five on the pit box, but that the crew chief is actually down – whether it be catching the tire or something, not that they're necessarily going across the wall, but they're down on the ground level instead of up on the pit box because they're short uh, manned or restricted as far as number of team members um, that they're performing part of the pit stop. And that's because of the COVID-19. Because of the number of people that each team is allowed to bring in to try and reduce the number of people, yes. Okay. So we're, same with, same with the over, spotters. We go back to the spotters down on pit road. 
No, well, they said they had them in different places, and again, sometimes you have, uh, even if it's another individual that's on the pit box, they're ones that are helping you spotting as the driver's coming into their pit stall on pit road. And I know at Indy they said that... Is one of those tracks you've got to have more than one spotter because one spotter cannot see the entire track. So they have spotters in varying places on the track that will keep an eye on what's going on. And if you think about it, even the broadcast broadcast crew sometimes will have people in different parts of the track uh, during the broadcast uh, because of the fact that you just can't see the entire track at Indianapolis. Well, and the the other point, they've brought this up at a couple of different tracks. Normally when you talk about the spotters, they're all in one spot, high up on a roof, you know, above the VIP boxes and uh, sky boxes. And I'm just thinking like at Daytona. Well, with the social distancing, they've had to spread them out, bring them into the stands and spread them out more. So even when you're talking about, hey, we're going to pit here, you're pitted next to us, will you pick a lap later? You're not able to turn to that other spotter and, and let them know and communicate like you would mm-hmm. when they're all in one group and you just tap the guy on the shoulder. They have to use their so, radio. Like I said, but even up on the well, even up on the spotter stand, depending on where people are standing, they have to use their radios because the guy that you need to talk to might be at the other end of the spotter stand as opposed to the, somebody standing right next to you, or they might be midway down, and you can't shout because. If everybody's shouting, nobody hears what anybody's saying. So they have to use their radios in those cases. And, and there again, a lot of times, it's if you even if you have the one designated spotter, they might have uh, an assistant or whatever of taking care of that while they're still spotting the guy on the track. He's the one coordinating with the other guy. And like I said, normally on a pit box, you're talking about there could be five or six guys in there. You don't know what all their duties are. If they're not available, somebody else has to pick up their duties. The more you pile on one or fewer people, as you spread out what you're doing, if your one job is to call the guy into the pit stop, but now you're doing a couple other things, you're missing you know, your focus on that for whatever reason. Um, so going, what going back to, I know you mentioned... What are you suggesting, uh, Jay, as a solution for the for what they're dealing with right now? Are you just bringing it up as an issue? I I was just bringing it up that that we've seen a couple little things that that might be due to the lack of the normal people there. I, I don't know that you know. I know they're doing again what they need to within the regulations in order to even have the race, so they have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one in particular, just kind of the way it developed, that Indy um, pit road has always been the same width. We have never seen an, a situation like that like we saw this past weekend. Right, that's so true. I didn't know if that that is just one of those things that, that added it and hopefully we never see again. And I know you mentioned they did mention moving pit wall, and I, I'm with you. I don't. They'd almost have to move it towards the track and shorten the track because I don't see where they can move the other side. Um towards the infield like you said you got the museum the golf course um, stands there on the infield so I don't know where their thought came from of moving pit wall or making it wider I know that just uh, as soon as I saw that I was like there's no way they're going to move pit wall or make that wider Uh, but it is challenging 
and I can see where the drivers really have to be on top of their toes uh, on that pit road because uh, those drivers, there's two lanes, and some of those pit crew members were working well within that inside lane of uh, pit road. And if you've got to turn in to go into your stall, you're going to have to go across that lane. And if uh, there's a pit crew out working on the car in the middle of uh, that lane, that that creates a super, super dangerous situation. So I think we're lucky we haven't seen more accidents on Indianapolis pit road, but uh, they definitely have to be on their toes. And we've got to look at more safety features for those guys, especially those guys that are on, on that outside of the car because um, – that was very, very scary what happened when, uh, I guess it was Justin Algauer, uh, somebody saw what was going on, slowed down so that they wouldn't hit somebody, and in the result, you got that accordion effect of all these cars coming in, and you can't necessarily see through the car in front of you to know what's going on, and all of a sudden, you've got a bunch of cars all piled up in a ball um, on pit road there, so... It, it definitely created a very dangerous situation. It did, and I know there was one that was injured, and I haven't heard the update on him. I know he was being treated, uh, did get pinched between the car and the wall. But we also saw, I believe it was Ryan Blaney's crew. Say that again? That was Zachary Price. Okay, there we go, Zachary Price. And But we also then, I saw today on uh, Race Hub, the Jackman for Blaney's crew that saw these cars bu- bunching up or whatever, that actually jumped onto the roof of Blaney's car to get out of the way to protect himself. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, that was impressive. I saw that. I saw him jump up on the roof, and I said, that guy was thinking quick on his feet. Now, the other guy, it almost looked to me like he was trying to beat the car uh, by going around the car. And I kind of wish he would have done the same thing and jumped up onto the back hood or something, uh, the back deck lid of that car, because it would have saved him had he done that, uh, rather than trying to beat that car and get around it. But I think he saw it happening, but he just made the wrong decision, I think, about uh, trying to, to get around the car versus jumping up and over the way the Jackman did, because that was... That was really smart on his part. Well, uh, to be fair, the Jackman's in the middle of the car. He's got nowhere to go but up and over, you know. Uh, unfortunately for Price, he thought he could get around the end of the car before it got there um, and got pinched. You know, the ja- the Jackman had no option. You know, he, he was either going to be on the hood of the car coming or the roof of the car that was sitting still. So. <laughs> right, right. Well, when you think about it, neither did the other guy have any other options. Because the option he chose was was not really a good option, uh, and I'm right. just saying that there was a better option that he could have chosen as well, uh, and it might have saved him that injury. And I'm not blaming him in any way because that's a split second decision that those guys are making. So please don't take that as criticism of that person. Uh, I'm sure in retrospect he would probably say the same thing. He probably could have made a better choice there. 
Okay. And yeah, so, that's one of those, like I said, I'm sure at the time, like you said, it was a split second. He thought he had time to get around the end of the car versus going on to the car like the, the Jackman did. Uh, the Jackman, like I said, he, he doesn't have any option. He's going on somebody's car. He chose the one that he was working on sitting still on. So. <laughs> right, right. And uh, thankfully, he he was okay. Um but yeah, there's a lot of things that, and I'm sure NASCAR is, does do their due diligence when it comes to these kinds of things, and I would expect they're doing due diligence on the, that situation on pit road uh, to make sure that that never happens again. Uh, you can never, you can never uh, be absolute in these kinds of things because there's always those unforeseen things that happen uh, that nobody ever thinks would happen but does. Um, and and you can't predict. So, uh, and this is one of those situations. I think nobody would have predicted that that would have happened uh, at that point of the racetrack. It's just circumstances, the way they played out. Uh, it did happen. So now they've got to kind of go to the drawing board and see what they can do to protect those those guys on pit road. One of, one of those things, like, and that's what made it so curious, the fact that we haven't seen that to that degree before. You know, pit road hasn't changed, the width of the cars hasn't changed, so why this year? It's another one we're just going to have to chalk up to 2020 as part of that year. Oh, my gosh, this year has just been uh, unbelievable. I was telling Sal earlier, Jay, I think the earth is off of its axis somehow. There's there's something out of whack. <laughs> Yeah, if if something's going to happen out of the ordinary, it's going to be this year. <laughs> no doubt. Okay, so uh, what's next? Well, this one I really was hoping to, to involve Mike with. Uh, we might have to follow up on it uh, on Thursday or whatever day we do that. I'll, I'll talk to you about that uh, after the show. Um, Justin Algar filling in for Jimmy Johnson in the number 48. And where that leads with the future of the number 48 team. And not just this year, but into next year, obviously, with Jimmy Johnson's retirement. Right, right. You know, I really I, I saw the disappointment in Justin Algauer. I hope they give him another opportunity in that number 48 because, again, this was just so out of the ordinary uh, that you really can't blame Justin Algauer for that. Um, I really think, uh, and I know that Mike would disagree because he has some well-placed sources uh, that are, are giving him indications of otherwise, but I really think that they were trying to give Justin an opportunity in that car as a potential replacement, um, it, you know, a potential ride for next year for him and a second chance to come back into the Cup Series. Um, I don't know your thoughts about that, but uh, I, I could just see his heart sink <laughs> when he was giving his uh, post-race interview uh, that, uh, you know, he was so looking forward to that opportunity and getting a chance in, in quality equipment uh, to be able to race that race. And then uh, at a track that he does pretty well at uh, and uh, to, to, to 
to be disappointed by that situation was just devastating to him. So we'll find out who's going to be in that number 48 this weekend. But I, I'm hoping that Justin Algar gets another chance there. Well, and it, well, it's possible and it, Jimmy Johnson possible could be Jimmy back. Johnson I know they talked about that. He has to have two negative tests within or 24 hours apart. So there is a window um, this week where he could do that. So he might be back in the car. I wonder as far as if not the replacement, because if I'm not mistaken, the Xfinity is already running a double header at Kentucky this weekend. Yes. So you're putting Justin Algar, not that other drivers haven't done it, and Justin's obviously a good driver and a fit driver, um, but to be in three races you know, might be a little bit of a stretch, being that it's not something he's used to doing on a regular basis. Okay. So what other Chevy driver would you see getting that opportunity? I don't know because, again, like I said, I'm hopeful that at this point Jimmy Johnson um, works through, uh, is able to be healthy enough to return. That's that's my first hope. Um, as I heard you and Sal wrapping up, you know, this is his farewell year, and to already have to come out of the car even for one race, put him in a little bit of a bind as far as where he's at. He is still in the top 16 in championship points, so I hope that he doesn't have to sit out another race for that reason. Like Sal mentioned, you know, it's his farewell year. He's not getting to have fans at the track to support it. Um, a lot of the things that, that would normally be done for him to enjoy that final year just aren't working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really it's really a sad thing for Jimmy Johnson. Uh, the tracks are doing the best they can to kind of give him a farewell at each of the tracks, and I applaud them for that. But uh, it, it, they really do miss the fans being at the stands, in the stands, and and being a part of that farewell year, if you will, uh, for Jimmy Johnson. And um, I don't know if he, if he would consider staying. I don't think he would. Uh, as I'm thinking about it, because he's already uh, slated these test sessions with the IndyCar, and he has plans to maybe race some IndyCar next year, Uh, and a lot of fans are really kind of looking forward to that as well. So I don't see him maybe going another year to have that opportunity to be with fans, because, number one, we don't know how long this COVID-19 thing is going to go uh, it could go into a second year uh, if we don't get a vaccine. And I've heard some people say, you know, uh, getting a vaccine within a year would be a huge accomplishment. It might be two years before we can get a vaccine with COVID-19. And that I had actually heard, uh, I was talking with my nephew about that as well. You're right, um, with, a, with a full development of a solid vaccine, um, could, is yeah a year year or more is what you generally look at. I know we have some uh, very smart people again in the medical field that are working on it, and all the other precautions we're taking. We'll have to see how that plays out. But I don't see it. I know I didn't know if you wanted to go into what some of Mike had heard as far as from his source. Um, but that future that 48 still a lot lot. Go ahead. Oh, as I said, the, the future of that 48, the other one that, and I don't, um, 
know that that one got discussed a whole lot, but Eric Jones being in a contract year, unfortunately, again, is that fourth Joe Gibbs team that is on borderline of making the playoffs. Christopher Bell has been improving, whether or not he moves up to under the full four-car umbrella, where that leaves Eric Jones. I hadn't really heard that name come up a lot as far as coming over to the 48, but they mentioned it this weekend, and then the possibility of maybe not any driver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly a possibility. Uh, I know that Mike has an article he wants to put out about it. I'm kind of hedging on it a little bit because it is, um, well, it's not speculation to him. He says it's a well-placed source. Uh, But I will say that uh, I think that there is still some speculation of there being a fourth car at uh, at uh, Hendrick Motorsports and and other drivers that may potentially go into that seat. Um, I find it odd that nobody else would have had that scoop <laughs> except for Mike Orzel. <laughs> well, and I kind of felt that it felt that same way. Um, and just knowing Hendrick Motorsports, I, I just I don't see them having to cut back to. Uh, a f- uh, three-car team. I know we've seen some of the top teams, Roush Fenway and Richard Childress, um, go through that, but I, I just don't see Hendrick Motorsports doing it. But it is 2020, so. It is 2020, so anything can happen. Um, and and I don't mean to be cruel with this, but uh, I do know that there are situations where people will sometimes give information and and just to see what somebody's going to do with it, if they're going to run with that information or if they're going to hold it close to the vest until the right time. So I don't know if that's what's going on here or not, but um, I would just kind of put some caution out there uh, and and uh, be careful of, of what kind of things you hear. I, I don't care how well-placed it is. Uh, it, it could still be somebody playing some games. And that's very true. Uh, that certainly does happen. Um, the, la- the last thing I had, I know we still got like eight minutes here, was they talked about it, and Ken Smith even said it in his interview, of the last two weeks they've kind of gone away from the setups in the cars for Chip Ganassi Racing number 42 that Kyle Larson prefers. And we've talked about that, of of difference in preference of driving style, of maybe now Mm -hmm. we'll see some more out of Matt Kenseth in that team. Yes, I think that's a good thing, because Matt Kenseth is a seasoned veteran driver. No, he's not driven this particular uh, package before, uh, coming back this season, but he's obviously a very quick uh, study of what he he knows what he needs in the car, and I would say Matt Kenseth is a guy you need to listen to, and uh, if he needs something different in that car, I'd give it to him because um, he he knows what he's talking about, and even to do as well as he did uh, without having driven this package before, uh, I think is remarkable, and uh, if they can make that car even. No getting practice or anything. He, he's really been phenomenal 
with his return, and they were talking about he's now the oldest driver in the series, and and doing he's still up there racing with that, all the young guys, and I I think it's fantastic to see him back on track. And and that is one of those I know. Obviously, Kyle Larson coming from a more profound dirt track background. I know uh, Kenseth does run dirt, um, but just that different style. And I mean that that goes with any time. You know, you want to suit your driver to a degree. Sometimes you got to bring the driver in. And say, hey, your your way isn't quite working. Let's bring it in a little bit, as they did with Kyle Larson. You know, he always mm-hmm. liked to run the high side. He learned, okay, sometimes i got to run the bottom, and we saw that progression within him and that car with Kyle Larson, and it was running good. But when you have a different driver now that maybe has a different style and wants a different setup, like you said, you got to give it to him. I mean, there was a reason after Matt Kenseth um, was no longer in the Toyota team and retired from full-time driving or the way that went down, that Roush Fenway called them back, him back over to Ford to evaluate some things within their team and program. Like you said, for that reason, that knowledge is there. Now, whether that fit all their drivers, don't know, but at least gave them a direction and something for the other drivers to look at and go, hey, that did work. It works for me, too. Let's go with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And Matt Kenseth, um, you know, is is a guy that can make those kind of things happen without any doubt. So, it's like I say, it's just good to see him back on the track, and and uh, I, I hope they do give it to him, and I hope that we do see him. He was he was certainly contending this weekend, and a lot of people thought he just might pull off a victory at uh, Indianapolis. Not nothing against Harvick. Uh, you know he's got his wins ready for the year, though, and I know he got. Uh, is now one uh, one now win, one I believe, win, away from tying Lee Petty on the all-time Petty list. The but all-time uh, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of rooting for Kenseth there. Yeah, I, I was too. But, I, you know, and I, I don't want to take anything away from Harvick, but that kind of leads me into something that I know we've talked about before uh, with Harvick and, and Denny Hamlin is just how long can they sustain uh, sustain this? Can they sustain uh, running this way through the playoffs, uh, and and I, I question whether or not that can happen. But if there are two drivers that could make it happen, I guess those would be the two drivers that could possibly make it happen. Well, and, and as they talked about that, if it, right now they're obviously the top two as far as wins, you think about where the, the finale this year is scheduled to be at Phoenix Raceway, both of them have a very good history at that track. So if it does come to them two in the final four, picking between them head-to-head as well as two other possibilities, it's going to be a tough call. Mm-hmm. It definitely will. And keeping in mind, they just need to, uh, uh, you know, keep themselves clean through the playoffs in order to be in that final four at the end. And those guys know how to make that happen, too. They've been around the block uh, with this playoff format enough to know what they need to do uh, to get themselves into the final four at the end. Uh, most certainly. Uh, most certainly. Okay. We are coming up to the top of the hour here, Jay, so I think we're going to have to call it a night. Uh, what are you working on? 
Well, this weekend, well, this weekend uh, I don't know what. Uh, do you have a final set for uh, Thursday? Well, here's I, I did have it out on Messenger. I don't know if you saw it or not. But my thought was because of the Xfinity Series race, we are not going to be able to do our show on Thursday night as we normally would do. I am absolutely packed in on Wednesday. So Wednesday is not an option for me. Uh, Tuesday's too early because we don't have the information that we really need uh, to do the preview. So I was thinking about uh, putting together the podcast sometime around 1130 Eastern, 1030 Central, uh, and going from there. On On Thursday, correct? On Thursday, earlier in the day on Thursday, and then we put it out as a podcast. Uh, it's not going to be okay. very long before the Xfinity Series race, uh, but if you're available, uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking of doing. We can do it earlier or we can do it later, whatever works for you, but uh, I'd like to do it on that Thursday if we can. No, and that's why I just wanted to confirm that, and that, that way the fans know that are listening via this podcast. Um, if that was the set, uh, I know it was in a bunch of other messages. I wasn't available on race day where I saw you guys were going going back and forth like we normally do. Um, and I thought I'd glanced at that in there um, being at 1130 Eastern. And, yes, I will be available then. So that's what I'll be doing Thursday mid-morning then. Okay. So, yes, we'll be putting the podcast together then uh, mid-morning on Thursday uh, 10.30 Eastern, no, 10.30 Central, 11.30 Eastern. And uh, as soon as that podcast is available, we would, we'll put the information out there so that everybody can listen to our preview show on Thursday. And there are a lot of races. As you mentioned, there is the doubleheader for the Xfinity Series this weekend. Uh, they will be racing, let me look here, they're racing on Thursday night and again on Friday and then we've got the Truck Series back in action on Saturday with the Cup Series racing on Sunday. Uh, I do believe that the Arkham Menard Series is racing at Kentucky this weekend as well. Uh, they're racing on the 11th, which would be Saturday. So that'll be a double up there on Saturday between the Trucks and the Arkham Menard Series. If I've got that right, yes. I'll just double check yes. that. I, yes, belie- I, be- I believe so. I believe. Yep, I believe you hit it all there. I don't, um, I don't have a time yet, so I can't give that. But we'll ha- we should have that information by Thursday. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Uh, you can follow me on MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Michael Hoosman on Facebook. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to do catch up on the ARCA and truck races Saturday night. I will be back at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway in Mississippi, uh, doing some announcing down there. All right. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter. We are Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, including our website, fanforracing.com. Uh, and we do have a player available at fanforacing.com where you can listen to all of our uh, uh, radio broadcast and our podcast. So with that, I think we're ready to call this a wrap. And uh, a big shout-out to uh, those tuning in to listen 
to our uh, live broadcast or podcast. We appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, Andy and Mike, we missed you tonight. We uh, hope that you'll be able to return back uh, and join us again uh, for Thursday's show. All right. With that, uh, let's call it a night, Jay. All right. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you Thursday morning. morning. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Take care, and uh, we'll see you on the other side Thursday. Bye now. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 